Well, everyone, thank you for joining me for another bonus episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. This week, I'm going to share a debate I did a while back on Standing for Truth's channel with Pastor Anthony Aquino as we talk about the subject of Israel and is God done with Israel? A very enjoyable discussion. I know you'll get a blessing out of it. I do want to make one comment about it is he brought up in that uh, debate about like, you know, like, why can't we, you know, you believe in a revival for Israel, like as if I can will it to take place. And I've had a couple people since then, they've said the same thing. It's just, just like, you know, don't you want to see a revival in Israel? And, you know, I just want to go on record as, as saying I would love to see a revival in Israel. I would love to see a multitude of Jews get saved. But what I don't see is the scripture telling me that it will happen, which is what all these people are doing. They're saying, no, it's going to happen. Trust me. Hey, I hope so. I just want to go on record as saying, I hope so. But can you prove to me from the scriptures that it will happen? And no, you cannot. And so hope you all will enjoy this. Thank you for watching. All right. Looks like we are live. Welcome, everybody, to Standing for Truth. My name is Donnie, and I am your host for tonight's discussion on dispensationalism. It is a privilege to have pastors Tommy McMurtry and Anthony Aquino here for this important discussion. The question we are specifically engaging tonight is a controversial one. Is God done with Israel? I am excited for this. Both Tommy and Anthony are very knowledgeable on this topic, which means it'll be a discussion to remember. And before we get into engaging the topic, though, let's get acquainted with our guests, kind of break the ice a little bit by getting to know them. And so, uh, Pastor Tommy, why don't we start with you? It's been a little while since you've been here. And so how have you been? A little bit about yourself and also a little bit about your church. Yeah, well, Donnie, I appreciate you having me on again. And we're doing great. Uh, Lord's been blessing. And I pastored Liberty Baptist Church in Rock Falls, Illinois, and I, my, I have a wife named Cassandra, and I have eight children, ranging from ages 21 to two, so very blessed man, and very privileged to be pastoring uh, my church. It's been, it'll be 12 years this fall we've been pastoring here, and so uh, very excited about this type of thing. I'm very interested in the subject of Israel. Uh, in fact, I had a, a privilege of going to Israel in December uh, to film a documentary called Temple. Be watching for that. Go visit my YouTube channel. There's some trailers for that. And that that's plan we're planning on releasing that this summer. And it is going to be an exciting documentary you're going to want to see. So just very, uh, a subject I enjoy talking about greatly. Uh, and I enjoy even talking to people who disagree with me on the subject. I think there's a lot that we can all learn when it comes to this. And so hopefully we'll learn some things tonight. I'm excited about this topic. Absolutely. That's exactly why we do these critical thinking and discussing these topics are important. I'm looking forward to that film. I've seen the trailers and you guys got some big names in there. So for the audience, if you want to see those trailers to the upcoming movie, but also Pastor McMurtry's uh, channel itself, please do check the description box where uh, the relevant links are are posted there. Pastor Anthony Aquino, good to have you back as well. Definitely not your first time here. And so always a pleasure. How have you been? A little bit about yourself and a little bit about your channel and, and your church. Well, thank you for having me back, Donna. Yes, I'm the pastor of Cal Allen Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. 
and we are celebrating our 150th anniversary next year, our third Jubilee. God's been faithful, and uh, we're excited about that. Things are going great. Uh, I've got a wonderful wife, Sarah, and uh, three lovely children. One is at A&M right now, and one of them is actually in his room, and I've told him, listen, you've got to be very quiet. So um, he told me he will try not to have these spontaneous outbursts. But in, in regards to, uh, so I'm in school right now. I'm working on a THM with a PhD track. I've got an MDiv from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I've been serving in the ministry about 18 years now. Um, so, and through it all, I have always believed that God has a future for Israel. I love talking about his faithfulness to Israel. I like uh, pointing out the fact that there is the state of Israel existence today as it was prophesied in the scripture as a, as a means to bolster uh, the faith of those uh, in my congregation and those that I meet. So uh, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, been sinner saved by grace, and thank you for having me this evening. My pleasure, Anthony. Thank you so much for that introduction. I've also got your relevant links in the description box for people to check out. Again, tonight we are engaging the question, is God done with Israel? An important in-house discussion. And it really is a blessing to have uh, pastors Anthony and Tommy here. Now, for the audience sake, this is going to be a little bit more informal than our typical formal debates. And so we are going to begin with Question one, but question one is going to basically be the title of tonight's discussion, Is God Done With Israel? And so in a way, it's framed as an opening statement in order for both pastors here to kind of set the foundation for what will be discussed throughout this program. We've got many uh, different points of discussion that we are going to make sure that we get to because we do want to make this comprehensive as it is a comprehensive topic. We will, as always, be taking audience questions that we will be incorporating before concluding statements. And so please, if you do have questions, let's keep it on topic. Again, the topic dispensationalism and uh, is God done with Israel? Just tag me at Donnie or at Standing for Truth, and that way I won't miss them. And so question one, is God done with Israel? If the answer is no, to the guests, then what do you think God still needs to do with Israel? What is left for them, basically? Pastor Tommy, we are going to start with you. And so I am going to give you the floor and you have 10 minutes whenever you're ready. Go ahead. All right. So is God done with Israel? And just I want to say my hope for this discussion is to answer the questions that really matter. And I feel like when it comes to this subject, there's a lot of talking past each other, a lot of strawman arguments that end up happening through the whole thing. And it almost seems intentional uh, as a way to avoid certain questions that can't be answered. And I don't feel like there's any value in conversations like that. And I love the title of this discussion because I often hear preachers say with great authority, I'm even seeing it in the chat right now, God is not done with Israel. And when you hear people say that, it's usually, usually followed by a bunch of hearty amens. But what do you even mean when you say that? And Baptist theology on Israel and eschatology, it's turned into nothing but a bunch of good one-liners, proof texting, and most aren't even capable of having a real conversation about the subject. Most clearly have not listened to the other side and they actually, uh, what they actually teach and what they have to say. And proof of this is the fact that they can't answer certain questions or never is there any attempt to answer certain questions. And I hope tonight that this debate won't turn into a game of dodgeball where we just are avoiding questions. 
I don't think that's profitable. And it was very eye-opening to me when I started seeing the truth on this subject, how people couldn't even give a response to certain questions when asked about very specific doctrinal positions. Everything falls apart when you just ask certain questions and, and pay very close attention to those who run away from questions. That's very telling. So for example, uh, I hope we can kind of talk about this tonight, but you know, do you, you know, when you ask, do you believe the Jews are God's chosen people? Most Baptists will say, well, of course. But then if you follow it up with chosen for what? They just stare at you. And that's an important question. It, you just chosen or chosen for what? It means nothing if it's not chosen for something specific. But if you look at what the Bible says they're chosen for, it can be very enlightening. Uh, you know, do you believe Israel are the elect? Oh, yes. Well, elected to what? That's also an important question. You know, when a Jew gets saved, does he lose any special inheritance? I can't get anyone to respond to this question. Uh, and if, if he does, or if he doesn't, what does a saved Jew have coming to them that I don't as a joint heir with Christ? If, and if we all get the same thing, why do we care or even talk about ethnicity? So these are important questions that people need to ask. You know, uh, when did Ephraim become greater than Manasseh? We see that was prophesied by Jacob in Genesis 48, uh, 18 through 20. If you try to answer that question, it's going to make your dispensational theology fall apart. Uh, you know, who are these children of the kingdom that Jesus talked about? Matthew 8. 10 through 12 that are going to be thrust into outer darkness. Who are those people? Um, you know, and so while dispensationalists are masters at avoiding these questions, just understand if you actually look into these things and get answers, you'll find those answers in replacement theology. Dispensationalism, what they what it does is they change the promises of God into a fulfillment that goes along with the false beliefs of unregenerate Jews who rejected the spiritual message of Jesus Christ, where New Testament theology or replacement theology shows us exactly what changed under the new covenant, and it shows how God will still be able to keep his promises he made in the Old Testament in spite of all of Israel's failures to keep their end of the covenant. So when you understand how God will keep his promises, which is through Jesus Christ, everything becomes crystal clear. Replacement theology puts all the emphasis of everything on the heir, on the covenant confirmer, on the chosen one, on the elect, on the true Israel of God, on Jesus Christ, on Abraham's seed. Dispensationalists, they get you focused on a bunch of people who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie and are of the synagogue of Satan. And so I really hope we don't dodge these questions tonight. I hope we can talk about some of these things. You know, and so is God done with Israel? Well, done in what way? Is he done saving them? Well, no, according to Romans 11, those who are uh, the children of Abraham by the flesh can still be saved if they abide not still in unbelief. So they're not reprobate. Uh, you know, do, do I believe that this means God will restore the children of the flesh to their former position? Absolutely not. I do not believe that. So when God, when people say God is not un, done with Israel, I think they're mainly saying there's going to be a revival with the Jews again in the future. So do I believe in a future revival with the children of the flesh? Absolutely not. And any claim that people make in favor of Jews possessing the land or anything 
These things are based on the law, but you cannot claim promises that God made when your only connection to those things are of the law. Galatians 3.18 says, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And in chapter 4, verse 28, he says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So is God done with Israel? Well, I'll tell you this, God's not done punishing them. In 1 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, For ye, brethren, became fathers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins all the way. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Meaning, to the end. They will always be under the wrath of God. And I do not believe God broke his promise to Israel. I believe God will fulfill his promise to Israel. I believe he will fulfill the promise he made in Luke 19, 27, when he said, but those mine enemies that would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. I do not believe God revoked that promise. I believe he will keep it. I believe in Matthew 21, 19, when, when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. I do not believe that was a temporary thing until 1948 or until the rapture. No fruits growing on that tree forever. Uh, and so the question needs to be asked tonight and will more than likely be avoided is how is God going to keep the promises to Israel? And let me just go ahead and say, I do believe there are still, still some things that need to be fulfilled with the 12 tribes in the land, but I believe God will fulfill those things the way he said he will fill, fulfill them, not the way the Zionists say he will. There is something coming called a resurrection. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. I believe God is going to give his promises or fulfill his promises to those who are of faith in the resurrection. Now, what the dispensationalists are looking for, they're looking for God to fulfill his covenant to these right here. I just Googled Jews, and this was the first picture that came up. They believe it's going to be a people who make a claim to Abraham by the flesh and who practice certain things of the law. God is not going to fulfill his promises through those people. He is going to fulfill his promises to those who are of, of faith those who got in through Jesus Christ by the cross. This represents true Israel. I didn't want to use a picture of Jesus, but I did want to use a picture of the cross because that represents the work he did, how he broke down the middle wall of partition. And so God will fulfill his promises through those who got in through Jesus Christ, not through people who are of the flesh. These people are under the wrath of God. They will always be under the wrath of God until they were born again and they become this until they, and if they do not get born again, they will remain like this and they will be under the wrath of God forever. So I hope tonight we can talk about how God will fulfill those promises. I think that's where the conversation needs to be when we have this discussion. And I think that's a great conversation with a lot of great scriptures that we could go to. And so um, I will yield the rest of my time to Pastor Quino.
Very good. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Tommy, for that uh, introductory statement and also answer to the question, is God done with Israel? So Pastor Anthony Aquino, we're now going to hand it over to you. And you also have up to 10 minutes. Is God done with Israel? The floor is yours. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, let me state up front. I'm going to get this established as early as possible. Uh, I, I'm not a dispensationalist. Uh, I, in fact, I don't I don't use the term. I don't like I mentioned in previous debates. I don't read uh, the Schofield Reference Bible. So I don't want to have another discussion about dispensationalism and, and or, you know, is Schofield the damage he did to the world? That's not what I'm talking about. I want to know what the Bible has to say. I want to see how God's working in the world. And uh, let me share a few quotes with you from the outset. So maybe we can set the, the tone for this. These are there's some, some Puritan quotes. I would probably say in regards to what they're saying here, you might call me a Puritan. Uh, let me just give you one from Thomas a Goodwin uh, uh, talking about Israel. They shall be brought again in their unbelief for the promises shall take place when they are in their own land and before their conversion. So that's uh, Thomas Goodwin. He's writing three, four, uh, 400 years ago and stating these facts just based on his reading of scripture. Um, I could give you more. Uh, let's see. Jonathan Edwards, I believe the present dispersion of the Jews to be wise and holy ends preparatory for their future restoration to their own land. And then they will embrace their Messiah. The works of Jonathan Edwards, volume one, page 391. Is Jonathan Edwards part of some Zionist conspiracy? Is Tom's Goodwin? Um, I could go on. I could read Irenaeus, Tertullian. Let me just read one. But yet Jerusalem, after being destroyed, shall be restored in and I mean to be restored in glory, not in servitude. The city shall be inhabited after the captivity and the tribulation of the nations. It literally is a teaching that goes all the way down through history. Long before Darby, long before Schofield, they didn't invent it. They may have invented a system that has Israel somewhere in their system, but that the teaching that Israel, God is not finished with Israel, which is the topic of our debate tonight, to even begin to talk or to bring up dispensationalism or uh, as or, you know, Darby or Schofield, you're, it's going to be a waste of our conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. I have two things. I want to say the future of Israel. It's got to have a future for Israel. <clears throat> All I, I, and, I, and we can we can get into the details, but I'd rather stay away from the the the, the, the rabbit trails. I think that, in fact, I know Scripture teaches that God is going to regather uh, Israel. God has a future and he has a plan for them as he brings it about the culmination of the ages. And this has been taught. This is taught all throughout scripture. Without doubt, uh, Israel's nation is, in, is intrinsically linked to God's promises. We're talking about the God of promise. As the chosen people elected by God's uh, sovereignty, their existence is rooted in the unconditional blessings he pledged to uh, as a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And, um, his promises, regardless of their conduct, that he would orchestrate in cer certain circumstances to ensure that they came to fruition. God chose the people, the promises that he confirmed an oath in Genesis 15. These promises were first made in, in chapters 12 and 13 uh, to make an oath. The animals were cut in half and uh, the fire was lit and the furnace was burning and God passed between uh, the, uh, the animals showing as the sign of the covenant, the sovereign election by his divine oath. As Hebrews clearly states, Hebrews 6, 13 through 18, uh, therefore God must keep his promises to Israel. Uh, the enduring presence of, of the Jewish people in the world is inextricably in, in linked to uh, the divine covenant sworn in, in the oath of God. Uh, such covenants have unequivocally, 
unequivocally demanded the preservation of the people for, of God. For should Israel cease to exist, uh, the fulfillment of God's covenants would be rendered impossible. This is an astounding phenomenon that the Jewish stock has outlived all other contemporaneous peoples of ancient time. Do we see any Amalekites today? Are there any, any Philistines today? No, but there are Israelites today. And that is a wonderful and powerful witness to the faithfulness of God. Um, the maintenance of God's, uh, excuse me, the maintain the maintenance of Israel's existence is is a, a testimony to the ongoing careful uh, careful plan that God is working in the world, and He's not allowed any nation to to wipe them out or and cause them to lose their self identity because this would again nullify these promises that He has still left made to Israel. So, in in summation. I believe that God has stated clearly, I have, I will scatter them and I will gather them. He states this clearly, Isaiah 11, 11. He says this, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time, a second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt and from, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Pathos and from Cush and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. That has not happened yet. The second time certainly it hasn't. And there are many other scriptures that speak about a gathering. Only God can scatter, and so only God can gather. And this gathering is taking place. It's beginning. The birth pains have started. And we see it, and we should be thanking God again for the wonderful testimony that it is. And we should be talking to people in our evangelistic conversations, pointing to Israel as fulfilled prophecy and as pointing to a, an apologetic value that it, it very much is in regards to showing other people and showing unbelievers the truth of God's word. So is Israel a perfect nation? Absolutely not. I don't need to get comments. I got a few comments last time that I was in, I was working for the state of Israel. Or I was a Zionist agent. I'm not. I just believe God's word and I see God working in the world. And I don't have a special, I guess, you know, in some sense to the Jew first and then the Gentile. God has set this up, has set that. There is a priority in that regard. There is a sense in which we as Gentiles should not be boasting against the branches. And I don't spend, you know, even 25, 10%, I don't even spend 10% of my time trying to uh, thinking about Israel or writing papers about Israel or whatnot, but I see it in God's word. And I just don't understand this obsession with saying that God can't have a place for the, for the people of Israel, the, the uh, descendants of Abraham, according to the flesh. Why can't he have a plan for them in this future? They're not all saved. They're saved by faith. They, they, they will see their Messiah. And uh, Zechariah 12, they will uh, look on him who, whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And then God's going to pour out his uh, pour out the grace and supplications. That's going to take place in the future. It has not happened yet. And so I don't, you know, we can talk about land dimensions, but that to me, that's not what the important thing is. The scripture plainly states he's going to scatter. He's going to gather. There are prophetic statements that are made very clear. Uh, Zechariah 12 is one of the most clearest. It, it, it's, it states the very place it will take, the, the Mount of Olives and the, the nation of Israel, the, right before they're being destroyed by their enemies, uh, Jesus Christ will step in. They will see him and they will believe in him. What's wrong with that? 
why would, I just don't get why any why would you have an issue with that? That's what the scripture says. It doesn't mean you can't get saved. It doesn't mean God doesn't have promises to Gentiles. It doesn't take anything away. But there seems to be this, and I'm not saying this about Pastor Murcher, but there seems to be just a strange spirit in the world for the last two thousand years that that unites so many. Pastor, so many I, I'm just going to pause your timer here real quick. Yeah. There's uh, several people in the chat saying that your camera's a little jumpy and it's kind of distracting oh, from from your points. If okay, you let me see if I can stay straighten it out. And... Okay, so I'm gonna get that fixed. I'll start your timer again, and you still got two minutes. Go ahead. Okay, so it, there just it seems to be a strange spirit of of hatred uh, against even the Israel uh, the the people of Israel for the last two thousand years, and you can just see the shared views between the nation of Islam, uh, the white certain white supremacist groups. The Hebrew Israelites, they all share one thing in common, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. It's the hatred of Jews. And to me, that's just, it, I'm like, what, what's the deal there? And so with that said, Scripture promises that God's going to scatter, uh, scatter he's going to gather. And the Jews, when Romans 11, Paul's clearly talking about uh, physical Israel, physical Jews. And, and, and Paul had such a desire to see them saved that he said he could wish himself accursed from Christ. Do we have that same desire? Do we have that same uh, zeal? And uh, do we, I mean, here we are talking about, well, you know, I, I just, it, to me, it's it's just, it, it's completely uh, unbiblical. I believe it's not dispensationalism. It's not, I need to state that again. I need to reiterate that because a lot of people, I, Schofield, I don't have a Schofield Bible. I have a King James Bible. It has a place for notes and that's it. Uh, I can't even work technology enough to rely on anything else. It's just the scripture here. So with that said, uh, I yield. Uh, I'd love to share some more quotes from some Puritans, Jonathan Edwards, that are clearly talking about regathering of the nation of Israel, according to uh, Ezekiel 37. In unbelief, these Puritans stated it was the common belief. That it basically, it was a universal Puritan belief that this was going to take place. And even, even, even before that. So, it's amazing to me. It's it's amazing to me how people just go, oh, well, this wasn't believed until the 1800s. You've totally missed it. That you've totally missed it. This is this was the standard understanding, to uh, according to uh, again Puritans, Baptists, and early church fathers. Many of them. All right, I'm, I'll yield my, I'll yield my time. Anthony, I appreciate that uh, introductory statement based on question one. <clears throat> what I'd like to do, since there are several points, important points on the table from uh, both pastors, before we decide to pick one and kind of go with it in terms of a discussion, I do want to give you both the opportunity right now for a two-minute uninterrupted response to respond to anything that you'd like to. And then once we get back to Pastor Tommy again, then we'll have uh, Tommy, we'll have you pick one specific point. But for now, let's give you, uh, Tommy, two minutes uninterrupted time to respond to anything you'd like to. Go ahead. Yeah. So as far as like the, maybe this hostility to the Jews you're seeing, um, maybe it has something to do with what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.15 when it said, uh, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Paul made it very clear. These, the Jews, they cause a lot of problems. And people often say, they're hated because they're God's people. No, they're hated because of the wickedness that they do, because of the evil that they've done. And you can call that anti-Semitic. I call it biblical. I call it what the Apostle Paul said. Here we have a group of people 
who rejected their covenant that God made for them. Jesus came to them as a people. They rejected him. They killed the messengers. They killed John the Baptist. They killed Jesus, and yet he still loved them. He still sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and he saved thousands of them. But as a people still, they held on to the temple. They rejected the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They persecuted the church, and uh, and they are and they still claim today to be looking for another Messiah. They're looking for the very one that Jesus said, let no man deceive you. And he warned people about this man of sin, this antichrist that's going to come. And even you would agree that this antichrist that's going to come, he is going to usher the world into the most difficult time that there has ever been. The amount of bloodshed that is going to come as a result of this man of sin that they are going to help put into power that they are going to get behind, they are going to launch the greatest persecution that there's ever been. So why would I have positive feelings towards that? Obviously, I want them, as many of them as possible to get saved. But at the same time, uh, there's never been a revival amongst the Jewish people since the one that we see early on in the book of Acts. And in the early on in the book of Acts, that was the fulfillment of many of God's promises about things that he was going to do in Israel. And God got his remnant. And he, uh, through that remnant, was able to fulfill many of the promises that he had made to their fathers. And this idea of this future restoration, this again is a result of uh, interpreting the Bible and interpreting the Old Testament like an unregenerate Jew. You mentioned um, Ze Zechariah chapter 12. And uh, that's a pretty common uh, passage that people will bring up. But what people don't understand about the post-exilic uh, prophecies is those things did have uh, contingencies. They were uh, something that um, it was contingent on them doing the right thing. It says in Zechariah 6.15, And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you, and this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord, your God. Israel didn't do their part. So things did seconds. not turn out exactly the way they were supposed to. We see Jesus coming and doing all the things he said he was going to do, but we don't see the outcome in the New Testament take place that we see in Zechariah because they killed the Lord. They killed John the Baptist. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Tommy. Pastor Anthony, we'll hand it over to you now before we do kind of focus on one point in terms of a discussion. We'll give you equal time, uh, roughly three minutes. So Anthony, whenever you're ready, the floor is in yours. In Romans 9, uh, Paul writes, uh, Who are the Israelites to whom pertaineth the, adopt the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises? Present tense. Pertains the covenants and the promises of God. Paul also says in Romans 9, I, he says, I, I say in truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness, continue sorrow in my heart. I wish that myself could be accursed from Christ for my brother, my kinsman, according to the flesh. Paul uh, loved the people of Israel and had a, a zeal and a desire to see them redeemed and trust in their Savior. And they will. Um, yes, of course, everyone has done evil. Things. Every group of people have done has done evil things. And certainly in regards to the Israelites living at that time that crucified Jesus Christ, that's what the scripture has to say. But nonetheless, it, it's uh, Paul goes on to tell us, God cast off his people. May it never be. 
uh, he, he clearly says that he has not. What a great mercy that shows of God. Um, he, Paul also is very clear in Romans 11 in regards to that their stumbling is, is essentially brings riches to the world. What will the restoration bring? I mean, it's so clear in Scripture. And here's what I would say in regards to the gathering and scattering and this already being fulfilled. God says in Ezekiel 39, I believe in the same verse, I will scatter. So there's the, the cursed part, but I will also gather. I will scatter and I will gather those two things. So. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to get into Zechariah 12. Uh, these, these clear passages we could focus on and talk about. How has this been fulfilled? It hasn't been. But I would just say that I would warn uh, anyone. We don't, just, I mean, don't go boasting against the branches. Sure, the Jews have done, have done some terrible things, obviously. But so has everybody. So has all groups of people. Yes, in a special sense, they were there crucifying uh, the Messiah, but so did, the, so did Rome. And that's Paul also says that that he, and Jesus says I'll be handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified. So there, I yield the rest of my time. Pastor Anthony, thank you very much for that response. Okay, let's do this, gentlemen. Now, let's say for about ten minutes, and then after about ten minutes, I'll introduce another major question. But Pastor Tommy, let's allow you to pick one uh, a point that you think is important, and we'll have you both go back and forth a little bit on it in terms of a discussion. Okay. Yeah, I'm noticing a use of biblical terms that you're using, but the application has nothing to do with what we see in the Bible. So for example, when Paul said, hath God cast away his people, God forbid. Well, what is that? What's he referring to? Well, clearly what he's been talking about, salvation. He's showing that they can be saved. I And not the entire nation is going to get saved because he went on to use himself as proof you know, that he, that they can be saved. He's like, I got saved. So they're not cast away. In other words, they're not beyond hope of salvation. And so uh, what does God not casting them away have to do with the future revival? So you're just kind of adding that in when you're saying boast not against the branches. Okay. That, that sounds real biblical what you're saying, but you do realize that when he's saying that he's warning the Romans that, you know, God's not using Israel for bearing fruit anymore. And you need to understand as, you know, while God is doing a work here in Rome with you all as a church, that if you don't stay close to God, that, you know, you can be broken off and you can cease to be a fruit bearing church and fruit bearing Christians. Doesn't mean you can lose your salvation, but you're not going to bear fruit. And so me, I'm never going to lose my salvation, but I could quit bearing fruit if I backslide on God and I'm not obedient to his word. So you're, you're taking these phrases and you're applying something that Romans 11 doesn't even allude to of this, you know, a, a revival amongst these people. This isn't going to happen. Paul loved these people because there was a physical relation to them. You know, I love America, but I'm not anti-American when I talk about how wicked our country is. And I want to see it get saved. But, you know, I don't get mad at Mexicans if they're not Christians, if they're not as burdened for America as I am. And if I'm not as burdened for Israel as Paul is, especially since um, if you read chapter nine, it's showing that they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Paul understood the destruction that was coming for them, and he didn't want it to happen, just like Daniel didn't want it to happen. But just God told Daniel, these 70 weeks are determined. They're going to be poured out on Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was destroyed, and Israel 
is gone. And what we have today in 1948 is nothing more than a, it's the rising of the beast system. And I don't have to be happy about that and supportive of that. And so um, let's, let's use biblical terms, but let's apply them the way the Bible does that. You're not doing that with these phrases you're using. Go ahead, Anthony. I would just say that uh, Romans 11, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their salvation, it's come to the Gentiles uh, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if their fall be the riches of the world and, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I speak to you, uh, Gentiles, and as much as I'm also apostle of the Gentiles, he says, uh, uh, for if they're casting away, verse th- uh, 15, if they're casting away of them be reconciliation of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead and so you see this back and forth there the gentiles and then uh, they're they're casting off as bring bring life to the gentiles what shall their uh, receiving be and so there is a future there there is a returning to that the, the, all israel shall be saved i i don't know I, I guess maybe are you going to say that you're israel now are you are you are you a jew i mean there's there, I'm not I'm not putting I'm not adding to the scriptures what it says Paul says they haven't fallen have they, they haven't fallen uh have they um <clears throat> they haven't stumbled that they should fall but rather through their uh, fall salvation has come to the Gentiles and then he says well how much more will they are receiving be so there, again there's this back and forth right there in, in Romans 11 and I just again I don't it's it's just my opinion I don't understand it the it's like it's that's what's the problem with Israel having uh, what's the problem with Israel being regathered? Okay, I understand what you say. It's not, it's not biblical. But so Israel, God still has a plan for the nation of Israel in the future, the culmination of the ages. Why is that an issue? They still have to be saved by faith. Why is that such a problem? Why does it invoke such just responsive anger about this nation? Yes, they're, they've done wicked things. I get it. But <laughs> so is everybody. Everybody has done wicked things. I understand that there's a there's a sense in which they had the the uh, oracles of God and and they've crucified the Messiah. I'm not I'm not uh, again I'm not uh, taken away from that. But at the same time, there is a, a love for them that's clearly laid out in Scripture. Paul himself very clearly, and uh, all throughout the Old Testament, scattering and gathering, scattering and gathering. Pastor Tommy, over to you. Yeah. So the problem is it's contradicting many things the Bible says. There is no respect of persons with God and you're giving them a special promise that the Bible doesn't give. And all that scripture you read, again, that was proving individuals could be saved like the apostle Paul. It wasn't showing a future revival of the nation. And you know, and you, and so all shall be saved. You say that as if that's ex- explaining a future event instead of explaining how they can be saved. Because that's what Paul is doing. Paul is proving that Jews can still be saved. Now, how can that be after all they've done, after they were broken off? Here's how it can be done. And so, all Israel, not and so then, all Israel, and so this is how. Because out of Zion, he's quoting Old Testament, shall come a deliverer that shall turn ungodliness away from Jacob. Now, for some reason, dispensationalists think that happened in the future. Even though Peter, pre, when he was preaching in Acts 3.25, he says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed 
shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. I don't know if you're of the persuasion that says the seed is this, but Peter thought it was Jesus Christ, like Paul. And it says, unto you first, God, having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So right there, Peter's preaching that as if it already happened. Jesus turned away iniquities at the cross. And if Israel will not abide still in unbelief, they will be able to be grafted back in, into the olive tree. And so that it's it's how they will be saved by believing on Christ. And so, again, uh, to read that, that and get a re future revival for this doesn't make sense. When I see that, it's just showing me that how uh, this happened. And so all Israel shall be saved. This is how they should be saved through the cross, through Jesus Christ. That's how it's done. So the promise that we're seeing is for them. So, you know, you said, you know, are, am I going to say I'm Israel? Well, my question to you is, do you believe Jesus was of Israel? I mean, his genealogy is in the Bible. He was from, he was took on him the seed of Abraham. He was from Israel. He had, he is the one who inherited all things. According to Hebrews, I'm a joint heir with Christ. Uh, I got in through the cross. He turned away Israel's iniquities at the cross. He turned away my iniquities at the cross. And so to try to separate me from Israel is to separate me from Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Paul didn't try to separate the Corinthian church from Israel when he talked about how about their fathers. You know, we have Old Testament Israel right here that Paul talked about. He referred to the Corinthian church as these people that in the wilderness is their fathers. That's what they looked like then. That's what we look like now. That's my church right there. And without a doubt, Paul connected. He connected us to this right here. And though, and now many of these people were not of faith. They died in the wilderness and they went to hell. Hopefully all these people here are saved. I can't know. I can't know their hearts, but we are the, the uh, God's church. We're the people he's doing a ministry through. And anybody who is saved in here, anybody who is saved in here is the Israel of God. And these are the people that matter. This is the Israel that used to care about. This is the Israel care about today. This Israel or uh, this Israel, they're, they're nothing. This is a, a, a new religion that started after the time of Christ when the Jews rejected their Messiah and they rejected their covenant that was made for them. They decided that there was another Christ, that another Messiah that was not Jesus. And they became what John called the synagogue of Satan. I do not support this. This is not Abraham's seed. These are children of the flesh. They are not the children of God. And they do not receive the promises. And I'm afraid you amongst and other dispensationalists are looking for a something special for these people. You're giving these people a special prominence because of a, an appearance that they give of following certain laws and a claim of bloodline. And, you know, and God forbid anyone question uh, someone's preferred genetics that, that they say. But, you know, the truth is they can't prove it. In the book, in the book of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, we see people uh, when they were after they were restored to the land, after God, re God regathered them to their land and they're looking for priests and they're going through the names. They had uh, there's one group that are mentioned in Ezra and Nehemiah that they were put away from the priesthood because they were polluted. You know why? Because their genealogy was not good. Their genealogy 
uh, was not accorded. They, uh, they weren't able to prove it. And there are no Jews today that can prove a lineage, that can prove the tribes that they're from. And it's ridiculous to even make that claim. Even after being in captivity for 70 years, there were people that couldn't. It says in Ezra 262, these sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, were they as polluted put from the priesthood because they couldn't find their genealogy. So my question is, where's the genealogy of these people that you're saying have some kind of legal claim? But my Bible says that the inheritance be of the law, it's no more a promise. So do you believe these people have some special prominence because of the law or because of promises? Because if it's of the law, they're under the curse. If it's a, if it's a promises, that goes to those who are of faith. So I don't know how you can make any claim for that, for them. Well, I'm not a geneticist, but the Inquisition did, um, programs did. Hitler had no, had no problem identifying uh, who the Jews were. And so there was no benefit to maintaining some fake uh, identity when in Nazi Germany. Yet we see that's what they did. It's the preservation, the promise of God to pres preserve the people. And and again, I'm not a Anthony. Your your camera's jumpy oh, again. Sorry again. I'm not a dispensationalist. So if you want to argue Schofield, Darby, you picked the wrong battle. I I I guess I would I I won't say I'm not a dispensationalist in the sense that I see that God has a future for Israel. But again, I want to show. I want to I want to point out. This isn't a dispens as an exclusive dispensational belief. You're going to have to argue with Jonathan Edwards. You're going to have to argue with um, uh, Thomas Goodwin. I mean, many, uh, Irenaeus. So with that said, I just believe there's a future for uh, God's culmination of the ages with Israel, the nation of Israel. They have to be saved by faith. That's it. I've never said they don't. I'm going to have a debate March 25th, is it, Donnie? Uh, I think it's March 25th. With someone, I'm not sure, I believe his position, I don't want to misrepresent him, is that, that they were saved at one time without faith, or faith and works, excuse me. And I don't believe that at all. They weren't saved by faith and works then, they won't be saved by faith and works in the future. It's by faith in the Messiah, in, the, in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It's just that God has a plan, and he's going to use the nation of Israel to bring the culmination of the ages, and the Messiah will return to uh, save them on Mount of Olives. We see in Zechariah 12, that's what takes place. It's a miracle. I just don't get it. Aren't you just blown away to see how this group of people that you seem to say has no proof that they are who they are? Okay, God knows who they are. God's Spirit can call people out. He said he would do it. I will gather you, and he's doing that. He's gathering people there. No, I don't think, you know, when you show these pictures, I I mean, do I think that what the Jewish people and the synagogues, are they doing? They're not They're not practicing the, the faith that God would have them do right now because they did reject their Messiah. But God can still love people and still have a plan and a future for people that at the present time reject him. That's, a, that's the amazing grace and love of God. To me, I'm like, I don't get it. Yes, they, 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 you know, when you say the synagogue of Satan, okay, Peter was called Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Sure. If you're, I mean, anytime someone's in opposition or the, they're acting as the adversary to the purpose of Christ, that, that label can put, I'm not sure exactly. I would, I would love to see a study on exactly who, what's being referred to there. Uh, you know, I think that it could, there could have been some, some Gnostic elements uh, some spiritual Judaism that made that was taking place, but I don't want to argue with about that. I'll go with you on that. Synagogue of Satan. Okay. They're just in opposition 
to, 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 to their Messiah. That's it. It doesn't mean that they're a cursed. And, and to me, it's like, well, if, 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 if that's what that's referring to, well, then it can't be what's going on today, according to your view, because there's no connection to them. After AD 7 or the destruction, it's all over with. So the people today are just fake Jews. Why are we even talking about them? They just are out there dressed up like them. Let's just leave them alone and move on. No, but the, the amazing thing is the world's never done that. There's always been people identified as Israelites. That always, in the last 2,000 years, it's always been the case. And good believers, Bible-believing believers, before 1947, before 1948, who read a King James Bible or Bible uh, translated off the same manuscripts, read their Bible. I want you to get this, Pastor McMurtry. I want you to really let this sink in. Before it was uh, uh, something, before, before I mean, excuse me, before Israel was a nation again, men like Jonathan Edwards went to the Bible and yielded the belief they would be regathered in unbelief. Okay? I want you to let that sink in. Irenaeus, same thing. Justin Martyr, Tertullian. Okay? This isn't a new belief. Don't argue. Don't, don't bring the debate to dispensationalism. Or, again, I'm going to say it in Schofieldism because that's not, that's, not, that's not the debate I'm having here. I'm saying the Bible plainly says, as wicked as they are, as horrible as they are, God has a future for the nation, the physical nation of Israel at that time, at that time. And, and I'm not the first one to say it. In fact, I think many Darbyites, many people that, in fact, Randy White, he's a pastor. I, he's a nice guy, but I disagree with him wholeheartedly in his regards. He seems to be somewhat of a hyper dispensationalist. And I, and I completely reject that. But he says right now, he shares your view that this nation, well, in some, in some ways, the nation of Israel, he's a, he, he's a, a, a complete uh, Schofieldite says that this, the nation of Israel right now has nothing to do with the prophetic future. He re, he rejects it in front in front of uh, from the obvious. So that's what I would say. Um, it's it's not dispensationalism, brother. It's been something that's been spoken about and written about for two thousand years. Where did okay, the Okay, gentlemen, let's do uh, one final two to three minute response. I know there's a lot of points on the table, so I want to give you both uh, enough time to, to address each other, basically. So, Pastor Tommy, let's give you one final response on this portion. We'll do the same for you, Anthony, and then I will introduce another major question for us to engage. Tommy, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm going to say several words or names that I have not stated yet, and you can check the transcript, and this will be the only times I will say these words. Okay, I have not used the name of Schofield, Ruckman, Larkin, Darby. Those words have not come out of my mouth yet. I don't need to talk about those guys, nor do I need to quote sources uh, that agree with me historically. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation about what the Bible says. And you said it was God's promise to preserve them as a people. But here's, have, have you noticed how in the Bible there is a great deal of genealogies in there? Why is that? Because of promises about the seed, promises about the Messiah. I'm not going to take the time to go through why we have the genealogies that we do in the Bible, but God preserved those things to show that he was going, how he fulfilled those promises. He made sure we had the line of Christ. That way people couldn't just say, well, you know, he said he was of the line of David, but we don't really know that he was. No, it was prophesied he was going to come from the line of David. So God preserved that genealogy. And we and 
after we get into the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul saying not to give heed to endless genealogies. You know why? Because it doesn't matter anymore. The promises were fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The promises that God made to Israel. All that matters now, the only genealogy that matters now is are you in Christ? And Jews can't prove anything. Now, what we do have, the reason you've always seen these things, the reason people historically have always had some type of belief like this is because Judaizers have been around since the Apostle Paul's day. Even in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts, we see them way too connected to the things of the temple. And that's why God had to remove those things. That's why God had to have that temple destroyed. Christians struggled letting go of those things. The Judaizers have always been around. They will always be around. So you can always find this type of teaching throughout history. And so the reason Hitler hated the Jews and that, you know, and a lot of people had a problem with the Jews wasn't because they checked their DNA or their lineage or anything like that. Is because of the belief system. It's because of the practices. And so I do believe there are people that are of that spirit today. I do, uh, I do believe that there is going to be a fulfillment of prophecies towards Gog and Magog, but is it a physical nation or is it just about a group of people uh, like, like Gentiles? And I don't want to take time going into all that, but I, I do believe if you're a person, I don't care where you descend from, who claims to be, uh, who claims that there is a Messiah that is yet to come and it was not Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus Christ and are trying to earn heaven through the works of the law, then yeah, you know what? I believe you take on those promises that God gave to the Christ rejecting Jews and you'll be under God's wrath too. I believe, I believe that all people that are without Christ are under God's wrath. I believe this group of racially diverse people is equally under God's wrath, just like the Jews are. But just like these people need to give their heart to Jesus Christ, so do these people. And these. Oh, no worries. I will uh, stop the timer there. I'm sure Pastor Tommy will be back here very shortly. And oh, you're good, Pastor Tommy. I'm sorry. I, I hit my mouse and I kicked myself out. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no God, God's no respecter of person. Okay? These people are under the curse unless they're born again. These people are under the curse. They're born again. These people have no special claim because of their DNA or lineage. These people have no special claim. The only difference between these people and these people, these people have a religion that is very hostile towards Jesus Christ. For these people, they might just not care. They might just completely be in, a, in unbelief. But both groups need to be born again. So uh, to claim that God preserved them, okay, if, if there was a promise for God to uh, preserve a line, okay, then why did God not give any proof, any records like he did with the Messiah? Because those were also very important promises. But you know what God did? God, if we have time to go through Daniel 9, God had the temple destroyed. God brought that, left their house, desolate and those things were destroyed those records were destroyed and um you know people claiming these things today it's more of a it's more of a religious movement than it is a genetic movement dna movement or anything like that okay thank you uh pastor tommy pastor anthony feel free to have the last response on this specific topic yeah i want us to get to scripture but uh, 
let me just say, if you can't prove they're not Jews, then I guess, I mean, if you can't prove they are Jews, you can't really prove they're not. And so we can see that the world's reaction to them, the persecution that they've received for being Jews, I think that they probably, if nothing else, earned the label according. I mean, if I was looking at it from your point of view, I don't need to see a, a DNA. I know God knows these things. And he, again, scattered uh, and he will and he's begin. he's started to gather them. He knows who they are. His, uh, so uh, that said, I, I'm not trying to claim that they've taken DNA tests and they can identify these things. I think that there's but to me, it doesn't matter. God's going to work his plan. It, it does not going to need any help from Ancestry.com or anything like that. God's going to have accomplished what he wants to accomplish through the nations. And one of those nations happens to be the nation of Israel. What's so wrong? What's so bad about that? It's it's repeating I mean, all throughout the scripture. But but let me just share this with you. What You know, you say God's no respecter of person. I understand that, and, and certainly that's true. Uh, but at the same time, you, you have Paul saying, according to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Doesn't this sound consistent with what you just said? Certainly, they are enemies, according to the gospel, for our sakes. They are our enemies. Uh, but while they are our enemies, at the same time they are our enemies, it says, uh, but as touching the election, they are a beloved for the Father's sake. So at the same time, they can be the synagogue of Satan. They can be uh, in opposition to the gospel, enemies of the gospel. Do you get that? I mean, at the same time, this one verse, these, this, you, you can't say this isn't talking about, you know, physical Israel. They are enemies of the, or spiritually, however you want to see it. These people are enemies of the gospel for your sake, talking to the church here. But then he says, but they, according to the election, they are beloved for their father's sakes. Where in your theology do you have room for any of the, that last part of that verse? That's my, if I can ask a question, where do you have room for that? I mean, Paul's saying they, they at the same time, they're enemies, they're beloved. And so uh, that's, that's my time's up. Sorry. I okay. get fired up, man. I lose track of time. Yeah. No, that's fine. So I, I guess what now, we'll do is I'm not upset. I don't have a uh, pastor of uh, Mercury. I respect you completely as a Christian brother, as a pastor. I get, I get fired. It's not you. Please don't misunderstand it. I apologize if I've come off harsh or abrasive. It's, yeah, we're uh, not, we're not, neither of us are mad at each other. Yeah. We're both fired up about these positions. Me and you don't know each other. We haven't right. had any interaction. We have no reason to be hostile towards each other. So for all those watching, any hostility right. you see. It's not an Italian versus an Irishman here. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's about, it's about, it's about the position. It's about the position. So we have right. that out there. Uh, I have a lot of respect for anybody who's willing to, you know, come and have a, a conversation about this. So yeah. I, if, if I come off as, as harsh, you at don't. All, no, you don't. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 it's and not personal. It's not at you. It's, it's not mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Well, you both are doing an excellent job keeping it on topic, on the Can argument. Can I ask some questions and, now, Donnie? Well, I, I was going to say, let's do this. Let's have, uh, since you asked a question, Anthony, let's have Pastor Tommy respond. And then I'm going to introduce before. the next major question. And mm -hmm. we'll make sure with that question, we can have more of a Q&A back and forth. So, Pastor Tommy, go ahead if you wanted to respond to Anthony's question. Yeah. So if if we pay attention to what Romans 11 is about, showing that Jews can be saved and not about a future revival, then it makes it crystal clear because he's describing how they will be saved, not when they will be saved. But when he says, and so all Israel shall be saved, he's showing how a deliverer came, turned ungodliness away from Jacob. Yeah, they got a bunch of sin, but their ungodliness was turned away by Jesus Christ. So when he says, for this is my covenant unto them, 
when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. They are they are hostile towards the gospel. They're fighting you. They're enemies. But it's touching the election. When it when it's talking about the election, when it's talking about the chosen, when it's talking about those who are believers, those who are of faith, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And so God is was able to love Jews like Paul. God was able to love Jews like Peter. You know why? Because he took away their sin. All the 3,000 of those Jews that got saved at Pentecost, God loved them and they were beloved. Why? Because their sins were taken away from them. That's how God is able to love us. Love is not just about the, it's not just this feeling in the Bible. It's all, it always refers to what Jesus did, the action that he did and him dying for them. It was love. It was loving them. And so those who are, have accepted that and embraced that they're beloved. So this fits in my theology. Perfect. Because Paul is showing the contrast between Jews who are saved, whose sins have been turned from them and taken away versus those who have rejected and um, uh, abided still in unbelief. Yeah. They're enemies. And so I can have great fellowship with the Jew whose sins have been turned from them and who is in belief. But when it comes to those uh, who reject Jesus Christ and especially that are persecuting people, they're enemies. Yeah. Can I, can we go back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just look at that one verse. So uh, reading it as concerning the gospel, they are enemies. So are you saying that the, they change because they are enemies uh, for your sakes? Mm-hmm. He doesn't change the subject here. He ch- changes the, the object, but it's touching the election. Uh, they are beloved, not because mm-hmm. they've trusted in Jesus Christ, not because they have believed and some of them haven't. Same group of people who are at the one time enemies for the gospel for your sakes, but it's touching the election, being chosen as a nation. Uh, they are, um, they are uh, beloved, not because they've come to faith, mm-hmm but of their father's sakes. So it's not, this isn't a contrast between believing and unbelieving. What's the reason why, why are they beloved according to the text here? Why, why are they beloved? My question, why are they beloved according to the text? Right. Because of the promise that God made to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God promised uh, that seed that was going to come. God promised salvation to them. And God promised that he was going to multiply their seed as the stars of heaven. And so obviously not everyone that came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob got saved, but there there is a remnant. And so the thing is, you know, we have they uh, that are the enemies, but when they turn to Christ, when they have their sins turned from them, they become this. This this they right here used to be this right here. So that's what we're seeing right there when it says is concerning the gospel. They are enemies for your sake, but it's touching the election. It's touching the election. This is. Uh, a, a different group. Okay. These are the ones who have come to faith. They are beloved for the father's sake, for the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God's not going to go back on those promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's what he never promised those guys. He never promised that everyone that came from them was going to be saved. They are not all Israel that of Israel. You know, Ishmael, you know, there was Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was a promise. There was Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the one that received the, uh, the promise. So it was never everyone. It was always those who were of promise. And in Romans 10, 
He's shown for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's shown in chapter 11, even, even the Jews. So that's, that fits perfect in my theology. Well, let me, let me say this. First of all, I want to say again, I, we, you and I agree that for anyone to be mm -hmm. saved, they have to trust in Jesus Christ. Right. That's it uh, at all times. Okay. So I want, I just want to make, I know there's some dispensationalists or people who identify that way that would say something different. So I want you to understand and know mm -hmm. you and I are in hundred percent agreement on this brother. I think we have something else in common. I find it, uh, I would say it's almost funny. We both see a, uh, a future or God has a plan for at least the na a nation that's called Israel uh, for the culmination of the ages. You would say it's going to be the system of the Antichrist, right? I think, I think Daniel nine has already been fulfilled. Okay. So what I'm saying is you would say that, yeah, there's a future for a nation called Israel or the labels themselves that or lie or fake Israel, but still. No, I, I think, I think, I think Daniel, not all of Daniel nine already happened to Jerusalem. Okay. We can talk about that. But uh, what I was asking earlier is you were saying that the beast system is that. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. So you and I would, we can, we could agree to this statement. Now, when I say Israel, and from your point okay. of view, mm -hmm. it's an Israel that's not. Okay. So we both see a future for a nation called Israel in God's plan in the culmination of the ages. False Israel in your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Well, well I'll, I'll say it this way. In Revelation, it refer, when it's talking about that beast, it has on it names of blasphemy. So it takes on the name of Israel Okay. Okay. Uh, so in both... blasphemy, but it's, it's not something that's. Uh, it doesn't have God's stamp of approval on it like okay. it did with the Israel of the Old Testament. So, okay, so yeah, we people both... will call it Israel. Okay, good. So we both will agree there mm -hmm. is a future for Israel, however you define that, which would be mm -hmm. positive. Right? We would agree with that. We can affirm that? Yes. Donnie, have you ever seen two people debate this topic that have found the unique agreement in that regard? I'm serious. It's, it's a great thing to see some some agreement in, in, okay. in the midst of so, so much disagreement. Must be too. By faith. We agree there is a God has a plan for Israel, positive and negative, excuse me, negative, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. uh, for Israel in the culmination of the ages. We're, we're together on that. Praise God. And all I'm saying is if we'll just go back a little bit, look at what Paul's saying here. Just take a second. And and I don't have it all figured out, man, either. I want to say that's probably, I, I don't, I don't. But when I look at these very clear texts, to me, the subject doesn't change. I just want to go over it again and we can move on. He's, he's teaching this church and he's saying that what you're seeing right now, how they're not, these, these Jewish people, these Israelites have rejected their Messiah as it, as it concerning the gospel, they're out to get you. In fact, Paul had them following him around every city he went to. They would get there before he got there actually and they'd come after him. Right? It seems like his biggest opposition practice probably clearly was were Judaizers. They were always causing him problems. So he's, So they are, as concerning the gospel, they are our enemies. Right. And, 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 but at the same time, they're enemies. They are, uh, uh, according to the election, they are beloved for the father's sake. That seems to be consistent with Paul's attitude and the Paul's words in Romans 9, where he's the same group of people, unbelieving Israelites, obviously, where he says, I look, my, you know, I say in, in Christ, I lie not my conscience bearing witness to the Holy Spirit that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I wish myself could be a curse from Christ. And, I, and so, I don't know what that means necessarily, but it's, it could be as bad as he sent him saying, I could wish myself unsaved. It doesn't sound good. I wouldn't ever wish myself a curse from Christ for anything. Uh, so Paul says, I could wish myself uh, anathema, anathema 
for Christ, for my brethren's sake. And he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We would agree with that. These are some powerful dichotomies that are taking place in Romans 9, and, uh, 10, and 11. And Paul keeps making these, making this, this same dichotomy. Yeah, unbelief, but yes, they have a future. Unbe yes, they, they are enemies, but nevertheless beloved. And here's my question, if I could just go back. Where, what, what is the time of the Gentiles waiting to be fulfilled in your view? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked me that. The time of the Gentiles is showing too. Uh, I asked the question earlier that uh, nobody likes to talk about, and that is, uh, when did Ephraim uh, outdo Manasseh? And if you go and you read uh, the prophecy that Jacob made, remember when he uh, crossed hands with Ephraim and Manasseh, he said that Ephraim uh, would become a multitude of nations. And uh, and that literally means, uh, the if you look up the definition for multitude, it means fullness, is, uh, yeah. or if you look at the word fullness, it means multitude. Uh, nations uh, mean goy, you know, like goyim, and it's... I believe that's a prop prophetic about Gentiles being a part of the covenant. And we do see that while that was something that was hidden in the Old Testament that they did not understand until the New Testament, it's all over the Old Testament how God was going to include the Gentiles. And so God, uh, you know, kept his promise to Abraham and the fathers, and he did. All those people who are of faith in the Old Testament, they got saved because that uh, sacrifice Jesus made. It was a once for all sacrifice that took care of the many from before and all those in the future who would believe. And so uh, there is this time that was prophesied where I believe technically, if we really want to get deep, that technically, just like if Adam and Eve hadn't ate the forbidden fruit, they'd live forever. Had the Jews accepted Jesus as the Messiah, I believe he would have started his kingdom in the first century. Well, you're now, dispensationalist, man. Amen. Yeah, yeah. But God always, you know, God knew they weren't going to. And so it was prophesied uh, about the Gentiles that were going to come in. But God still kept his promise to Abraham. And there are, there, there is a remnant. I believe that's what the hundred, the 144,000, are they a literal 144,000 or are they symbolic of God's fulfillment um, to saving that remnant? But then what's interesting in Revelation 7, when you go through the, 12 tribes that are mentioned, it doesn't mention Ephraim, nor does it mention Dan. It mentions Joseph and Manasseh. And I believe, uh, I'm not going to go into why Dan wasn't mentioned, but Ephraim, I believe, represents that multitude that no one could number. Okay, and well, so, then let me ask, that's interesting. So, are, are you, I guess, do you believe that uh, Ephraim is, we're Ephraim? Yeah, yeah. People, when people say you think you're Israel, what tribe do you think you are, Ephraim? Because okay. Ephraim too, if if you remember, and this is what what a lot of people don't understand too, is Jews were those who were of Judah, of the southern. Right, kingdom. I know, I understand. The, that. And the, and the reason too, they were kind of special, uh, even in Jesus' day, is because these were people that could still give some proof, or at least they claimed to be able to give proof that they had a genealogy that wasn't polluted. While that northern kingdom that had been taken captive hundreds of years earlier, they were way more mixed, you know, and weren't able to prove those things. And so they were, they were kind of, they were kind of outcasts. But if you read Hosea, uh, those prophecies were to Israel, meaning the northern kingdom. Yeah. And God said, I'm going to call them my people, which were, which were not a people. 
And because they did, they got so scattered, they weren't his people, but yet he restored them. But he did that. That's already been done through the Gentiles. The apostle Paul refers to that in Romans chapter nine. So the, and, and what God's showing right there, when he is explaining what he's going to do with that Northern kingdom is he was showing how, even though these people have been completely polluted, even though they've been completely intermixed, you know, I am going to save those people. And that was something, the fact that God would be able to save these people that were polluted in their genealogies and everything was proof that any of us can be saved. Because again, you know, just like I can't prove someone's not a Jew, well, no, nobody can prove I'm not a Jew when it comes to lineage and things like that. But either way, it doesn't matter. I see those promises that God made uh, to Israel, the Northern Kingdom. And uh, I believe those were fulfilled through Ephraim. And if you go back to before they got taken captive, Ephraim, just like Judah was the capital um, of that southern kingdom, and that's where the Jews were, uh, later on, that northern kingdom found its capital in Ephraim. And so Ephraim kind of had that title too, you know, for the northern kingdom, just like Judah did, even though it also included Benjamin and Levi. So, you know, that's kind of where you're seeing that fulfillment. Yeah. Take that, place. That's interesting, but let me ask you: Are you do you uh, uh, subscribe, uh, subscribe to uh, two house theology? Like the you know uh, no, that, because I believe too that um, the prophecy has been fulfilled. Where you know, and Ezekiel, where he was going to take those two sticks and he was going to make them both one. And so that, so you got to understand too, many of the things that the Apostle Paul referred to, um, the prophecies that he would refer to, were ones that were two the Northern kingdom, but yet he told his Gentile churches that they had claim on those things. And, and so again, that's where we find ourselves in those old Testament prophecies. And so God made that stick of Ephraim and Judah of the Northern and Southern kingdoms. He made those both one. Now they didn't understand this in the old Testament, but the apostle Paul revealed to us how that was fulfilled. And it was fulfilled when Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition that was between us and he has made both one. And so where we used to be aliens from the Commonwealth and strangers from the covenants and, and promise, we've been made nigh by, by the blood of Christ. And so that's why, that's why the focal point of all these things in the Bible, it's, it's on Jesus Christ, because at the end of the day, we're all under the curse, including Jews. At the end of the day, we can't, we can't prove anything when it comes to lineage, it, it's not about the law, you know, so to claim that these people have something it's it, that's, that's based on the law. Our only hope, the only hope anyone has is being a promise. And that's where faith comes in. And God is no respecter of persons. God did do a revival amongst the Jewish people. That was a fulfillment of many prophecies, but at the end of the day, as a whole, they rejected God as a nation. And so they had their tribulation in 70 AD. They had their destruction. The wrath of God did come on them. And one of these days, we are going to see, uh, I, you could say, a, a, a dual fulfillment where God is going to bring the rest of the world through tribulation. Because just, just like Paul figured out in Romans 11, 9, 10, and 11, that he wanted Israel to be saved, but he knew they weren't going to be. So what did he try to do? 
he tried to reach that remnant. He knew about the destruction that was coming. And I know our world is not going to be saved. I know they can because a deliverer came that turned ungodliness away for many of us that will believe on him. But at, at the same time, I'm just trying to reach that remnant. And one of these days, our world is going to um, have to pay for how they, uh, for what they did with the gospel. And as a whole, just like Israel, our world rejected it. And the world's going to have a tribulation that's going to come. And God's going to pour out his wrath on this world. And so that's what I believe is going to happen. But God is allowing that multitude of Gentiles to come in. And this is I, so interesting. I, I, I don't want to, probably Donnie, we, we shouldn't go down this rabbit trail, but I do want to ask um, just a few things. So are all believers, do you believe all believers of this age are, are descendants of Ephraim? Well, not physically, but at the same time, uh, it's not about a physical claim. It's a spiritual claim. What's legally, legally though, okay, I have a, I have a legal biblical claim to the promises to Israel because I'm in that line of Ephraim. And so just like Why? Jesus Christ, because that's how, how God fulfilled, uh, because of what God did for Israel, you know, specifically that Northern kingdom, that God made these promises to the Northern kingdom of a restoration and the terms and conditions that fit them also fit us too. So that, that's okay. why that, you know, so but, that's why I have that, I have that legal claim, you could say. Okay, but wait, but you actually are believe that there's a, you are an, a, in a biblical sense, a descendant of, of Ephraim. I mean, I see the picture that you're talking about. In fact, I think that's how Paul's using it. But well, you're saying, no, there's a direct connection. I'm not trying to disagree mm -hmm. with you. I'm just trying to understand because this is the same conversation I had with Pastor First. We got to this point. Where he began mm. to talk about how he was Ephraim. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Because now you're claiming to be Israel. Mm. I mean, so you're are there. You're making that connection in Scripture to say that you are uh, you are Ephraim uh, by faith or by what? Yeah. So, so for example, in the book of Hebrews, all right, uh, the writer of Hebrews is showing Jews or Hebrews how Jesus can legally be a high priest when he was not from the tribe of Levi. He was at, and so he was showing how he was after the order of Melchizedek. Cause you got to understand that old Testament law, it does matter to God. You know, it, it is a holy law. And so we see that in that law, you know, and he showed the prophecy that I were to priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, he proved from the old Testament, how Melchizedek was somebody who's even greater than Abraham. He was a priest of the most high God. And so it was, it was okay for Jews to understand that Jesus can still legally be a high priest because he's a high priest after, after the order of Melchizedek. I am legally able to uh, claim the promises of Israel because of what God did for, for Ephraim, you could say. And so if, if Ephraim can be included, even though they got their lineage polluted, then I can also be included even though I'm from a polluted lineage so but it, but but, but again i don't want you to take this the wrong way yeah. because so the the fact that i can legally make that claim goes to directly to what jesus christ did because all of those laws that i have broken all of those laws that ephraim have broken jesus christ he took those ordinances that were against us you know he nailed them to his cross so jesus gets all the credit for it 
you know, and, but, um, but yeah, that's just those legal things matter to God. All those prophecies matter to God. That prophecy that Jacob made about, you know, Ephraim becoming a multitude of nations, God was going to make sure that got fulfilled. Now, if you study Israel in their history, Ephraim was one of the smaller tribes. Manasseh was the largest of the tribes. Ephraim was very small. Nowhere in the Old Testament do we see the tribe of Ephraim becoming a great people. It never, it, it literally never happened. But if we look at Hosea and the promises that God made to that northern kingdom, then, uh, you know, we do understand how Paul showed how that is connected to us. We're included in that. And I believe we actually see the fulfillment of that in Revelation 7, where we see 144,000 proving that God kept his promise to Abraham. And he's got, there's 144,000. We got 12,000 from the tribes, but Ephraim's not mentioned. So, so Ephraim ask, is not mentioned, but I believe we're the multitude that no man can number. Is there any physical connection? Because God does specifically speak about them becoming a multitude nation. I, I yeah. really disagree with that. Is there any well, physical connection then? Because well, the physical connection is is certainly implied, if not stated directly in the Old Testament. Um, that's how they become these multitudes of nations. There's is there is that genetic connection. Are you? Do you say there's? It's not there at all. Because well, I think yeah. that the danger of this. And, and I will say this: there's a this is an aspect of this conversation that I have been studying recently. And it's uh, it, because it, it, it does, it brings up, it sort of answers some questions, but it brings up other questions as well. And one question it brings up is there, the Bible, the Old Testament speaks and, and makes a genetic connection there. So some people would say, Joseph Smith said, uh, now I'm not claiming there's any connection with that because uh, just because he also said that, you know, anyways, the, the reason you believe is because you're descendant of Ephraim. That is the calling out and the regathering. I think it's a danger you could fall into, but it is something that that's again. I will I will admit is I haven't really studied through, it, but it is interesting. So, are you saying there's no genetic connection, or there or there possibly is, or that's only that's one question. I know. I mean, the, the, there's a no. I don't think genetics has anything to do with it. I mean, obviously to claim we're not connected to Ephraim when he got mixed in with all the Gentiles is like saying we're not connected to Shem, Ham, or Japheth. You know, obviously we're all going to be connected. I'm just saying that where where do I find myself legally according to the law? Because, okay. uh, and, and, I, and so I would put myself with Ephraim. Okay, and I'll say this, Pastor Murphy, that's an area also that, I hear what you're saying, and I wouldn't necessarily come and completely disagree with that. I would still have a way to fit that into the system uh, that I, as I understand the scriptures. So again, what we we agree that it's by faith alone. We agree that now. Would you say every time Gentiles used in Paul that he's speaking of uh, Ephraim? Well, I don't think he makes that big of a deal about it because okay. again, it's not it's not really that important. I so said we're we're getting into the. Okay. very specific terms and conditions of the things in the law and in the prophecies. And so, um, you know, well, let me and I do think they thing. matter, but I don't think Paul didn't really spend much time. Cornelius mm -hmm. was Cornelius Ephraim. He said, he, yeah, he, that's where you would, that's where you would put him, you know, legally. But not, but, and, but possibly, I mean, probably again, I don't think, I don't think that matters. Okay. The genealogies right, well, don't matter. You know, God's made us of one blood and said that I'm, I'm just saying 
what Jesus did at Calvary, it fulfilled that well, Old Testament. It fulfilled that Old Testament. And so Old Testament, I want to make sure you and I were talking about we're not talking about Israel as the 12 tribes. We're talking about Jew, uh, Judah and Benjamin. Is that fair? I mean, when, 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 when I'm talking about a future of Israel in your mind, what I'm talking about is the two tribes and not the northern. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Some in some of the in some of the prophecies, like Ho, especially in Hosea, it's about the northern kingdom. Now, when you get into the uh, prophecies after the Babylonian exile, um, then it's really about all of them in in reality. And um, and so you know that so that's kind of a whole other subject. You mentioned. Well, gentlemen, did you want me to introduce another major question for us to engage? I know we could. Yeah, probably we're we're getting it. into the real deep stuff here. <laughs> that you know, I don't know. We might want to, you know, kind of get to some of the other things. Save that for a future discussion. I will yeah. say it's been very thorough so far. A lot of the questions that we have pre-prepared mm -hmm. have been somewhat engaged. But let me, and we've got a lot of audience questions that have come in that are very similar to some of the uh, questions we wanted to touch on here. And so let me introduce this one. And basically the question is, what promises do you believe replacement theology revokes or removes from Israel? And we can go back and forth a little bit on that one. But let's start with Pastor Tommy and give you a few minutes at least to to respond to that one and give your perspective on that question. Yeah. So when it comes to, uh, yeah, that question, you know, um, I hear that all the time that you're claiming that God broke his promises to Israel. But again, what about what Paul said when it says wrath has come on them to the uttermost, you know, was Paul just wrong about that? What about what Jesus said in Luke 19, 27, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And this is clearly about uh, his return in his kingdom. When is that going to happen? With, without a doubt, he's talking about the Jews. You know, when he said to the fig tree, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. He said that after going into the temple in the triumphal entry, after only part of Zechariah 9 was fulfilled. Go read all of Zechariah 9. We all know 9.9. But look at all the things after that said it was going to happen. None of those things happened. You know why? Because when he went in there, they weren't ready. Uh, they had not purified themselves. He did not purify the sons of Levi so they could offer up an acceptable sacrifice like in the days of old. Like it talks about in the book of Malachi, like it said it was going to come, how the Lord would suddenly come into his temple. None of those things happened because they weren't ready. And Jesus rejected them because there was no fruit. He, he said to them, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it into a den of thieves. They were still keeping Gentiles out. If you go read the prophecies while they were in the Babylonian exile, there were very specific instructions in Ezekiel about the temple and about how to include Gentiles and how they could include the eunuchs and how they could include all these other people. The Jews didn't do any of the things that God said to do. And because they didn't do it, God said in Zechariah 6, uh, 19, I think it is, you know, all these things will come to pass if you will obey. They did not obey. Ezekiel has prophecies that these things will happen if there's ifs. They did not do these things. You know, what about, you know, when, uh, you know, God told uh, Abraham that if, if uh, they weren't circumcised, that they would be cut off 
as a people for breaking his covenant. You know, what about what was said in uh, Galatians uh, chapter three, when it's quoting Deuteronomy, it says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. That we see major judgment coming. We see the very last verse in the book of Malachi. He said, I'm going to send my messenger and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And, he, and uh, um, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children, children of the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We see all these, God saying, all these things he's going to do if they reject the Messiah, if they don't obey. They didn't obey. And for some reason, dispensationists are just like, doesn't matter. All Israel still going to be saved in the future anyway. So I think dispensationalists are the ones teaching that uh, God broke his promises to Israel. I believe God's going to keep all of those promises. And even though we've all broken law and the, co you know, the law and the covenants and everything, um, we can, be, we can be cleansed through the blood of Christ. And now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The apostle Paul was quoting a passage from Isaiah that is funny in my Bible too, right before it says in a time acceptable, I've heard thee. It, it says in my, in the notes in my Bible, the restoration of Israel. And so understand how is God going to restore Israel after they've been scattered, after all the sins, after all the laws that they have broken. He, by sending Jesus Christ, paying for their sins, and now is the day of salvation. And if they wait until Jesus Christ returns, it will be too late. Those who would not that he should reign over them, he's going to slay them. He is going to kill them. That's, that is their future unless right now they get saved because they're not cast away. They can be saved right now and they can be saved until that fullness of the Gentiles come in. Once that multitude of Gentiles comes in and Jesus Christ returns, it's too late after that. And they're, uh, you know, who are these children of the kingdom? Said so they're going to come from the east and the west and they're going to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But the children of the kingdom should be cast into outer darkness. So there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When's God going to fulfill that promise? So I, 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 I need to know what you do with those verses. Pastor Tommy, thank you very much for that response. Pastor Anthony, let's give you equal time to engage that question. And then we'll go back and forth on it a little bit. And so let's say anywhere between three and four minutes, Anthony, the floor is yours. Those passages that you spoke about will have a future fulfillment. And Jesus says in Matthew 23, 38, uh, look, your house is left to you desolate. It's desolate. And then he says, uh, for I tell you, uh, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, speaking to the nation of Israel. And so there is a sense in which, yes, they've been rejected, but they will be that when the times of the Gentiles has finished, their blindness will be lifted, Paul tells us in Romans 11. So much could be answered in Romans 11. And we see that in, in, in the text. We see that in type. We see that in the picture of, of Zechariah chapter 12. But again, let me read uh, from Romans uh, 11 again, because it's it, it, it answers these questions and it speaks about the. Uh, this, this restoration that's that's going to take place in the future in regards uh, verse 25 for I would not brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own conceit uh, 
blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And then all Israel shall be saved. So there's there's a blindness that's until. Well, when's the until? Well, when the times of the Gentiles have ended. And so if you take that simple verse there and you go to Zechariah 12 and you look at Zechariah 12, you see this time of the Gentiles ending. Israel's in trouble. There's a tr cup of trembling. These nations, they've sieged uh, Judah. Yes, it's a double fulfillment. I believe it maybe is pictured uh, in a small uh, uh, fulfillment, in a near fulfillment, maybe in AD 70. But the ultimate and future and total and complete fulfillment will take place in the future. And this is all throughout the scripture as uh, Pastor McMurdry uh, uh, acknowledged in regards to double fulfillment. But in Zechariah uh, chapter 12, it says in that great day, in that day, there should be great mourning in Jerusalem as mourning. Um, excuse me, let me get to the verse that I'm going to, uh, verse 12. And uh, the, oh, let me back up a little bit. My light is low. Uh, yeah, Zechariah 12, and it shall come to pass. I will pour out, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. There shall be great mourning. And what we see is this grace and supplication that's poured out on all the families of Israel that are gathered there is, is again, this restoration and all Israel being saved. Now, yes, I understand in John uh, chapter 19, I believe it is, there was a partial fulfillment of this. They did mourn. Uh, excuse me. They did look upon me whom they pierced. In fact, John says, uh, according to Septuagint, look upon him whom they pierced. But that's a partial fulfillment. That's not the complete fulfillment, which is a, a, a continued pattern of prophecy in the scripture. What's coming is a full fulfillment of that. They will look upon me, excuse me, uh, they will, I will pour out on the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look upon me uh, whom they pierced. And what will they do after they've looked? They won't just, as the generation, you see, Galatians tells us that in the fullness of time, God knew when to send Jesus Christ, his son, into the world. He knew what wicked generation would crucify him. He knew that. And he knows when Christ will return to a generation of Israel at that time, that in their time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, they will look upon him whom they pierced, and they will recognize, them, uh, recognize him as their deliverer, and they will mourn for the fact that, yes, as a nation, they did crucify their Messiah. They will mourn that they did that. The nation back then, the generation then, they didn't mourn. I asked uh, Pastor First about this. And he said, well, Mary was mourning and, and the disciples. No, no, no. It's not talking about a very tiny group of people looking upon whom whom they pierced, looking upon him. It's saying that the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the house of David, this has happened seconds. yet but it's completely consistent with an unbelieving, wicked generation that extends all the way through until the times of the Gentiles are complete. And then you see in Jerusalem, Christ returns, the deliverer will come and they will look upon me whom they pierced. They will believe at that time. They have to have faith and then all Israel shall be saved. That makes, it's, it's consistency is, is just, is beautiful. And it's, um, it seems to me screaming from the scriptures, but so, well, thank you very much, uh, Pastor Anthony. We got a, uh, a solid response from the both of you. Now let's engage each other's points. Pastor Tommy, we'll hand it over to you for a response. Yes. Yeah, so very important thing to understand about Bible prophecy. It's not always just predicting the future. Sometimes it's giving instruction and telling us what will happen if you obey or what you, will happen if you don't obey. 
And so what we're seeing in Zechariah, this is a prophecy uh, during the time when they were rebuilding the temple uh, after the return of the Babylonian captivity. They were given instructions in Ezekiel on about how to rebuild the temple, on how they were uh, some things that got updated and reformed that they were supposed to do. But they came to a point where they stopped the work because of opposition that they faced. God stirred up the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah to go and get the people to build the temple. And he's giving in these prophecies, these are our prophetic instruction. These are instructions along with promises of what will take place if you will obey. And in Zechariah 6.15, it says, And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you, and this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, here's the thing. The purpose of rebuilding this temple was they were supposed to build it and then wait for the Messiah who was going to come. And according to the book of Malachi, we're not going to go through those prophecies. He was going to offer up an acceptable sacrifice uh, for Israel uh, like in the days of old. But they did not listen to Elijah or that messenger that God sent to prepare the way of the Lord. They killed him. Jesus said that. And Jesus said, and they're going to kill me also. So the prophecies we see in Zechariah, they weren't completely fulfilled. Now we do see in the gospels, Jesus doing his part. And so that's why in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And Jesus did that. The Bible records that, refers to this scripture, but go read the rest of it. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. Go read the rest of that. None of those other things happen. You know why? Because when Jesus went in there, they were not acceptable. They were not ready. They had not followed the instructions given by Ezekiel, given by Haggai, Zechariah, given by Malachi. They had not done any of those things. In chapter 12, when it gets to the part, it says, and they shall look, I said, and I will pour out upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. That's Jesus doing his part. This is what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus did that. And they shall look upon me whom they pierced. All right. And they did look on him when they pierced. John recorded that. This is what they were supposed to do. And they will mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day, that sh there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Rimmon in the Valley of Megiddo. And people will connect that to Armageddon because it mentions the Valley of Megiddo, even though that's referring to the time when Josiah died fighting a battle in the Valley of Megiddo. And there was a great mourning that took place. But here's the thing. When that Jesus is pouring out the spirit of grace and supplication, they were crying, crucify him. They were mocking him. They, were, they weren't supposed to do any of those things. That wasn't in their instructions from Haggai and Zechariah. That was their disobedience. Now, yes, Mary and John were there. They were being obedient and doing that part, but they were not doing those things. And so that's why in Revelation, when we see Jesus one of these days, he's going to come again. And he is going to this time accomplish what do you want to accomplish? Because Israel was not able to accomplish what, what needed to be done by the law, but we will through the blood of Christ. And so when it says, behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. But apparently, according to you, all the kindreds are going to wail except for the Jews. No, they're going to wail too. They had their chance to mourn and to get right. 
and to get salvation. They lost. When he comes back, they're going to wail because they're going to know they're in trouble. Thank you very much, Pastor Tommy. Pastor Anthony, go ahead with your response. Okay, so you, I mean, I, I'm not, I agree some prophecies are, are have a conditional aspect to them, but let's look at Zechariah 12. You said Jesus did what he was supposed to do, mm -hmm. uh, but the Jews didn't do what they were supposed to do. Well, what were they supposed to do according to verse 10 in Zechariah 12? Uh, pierce them? Is that what they were supposed to do? They were supposed okay. to mourn. Okay, but wait a second. Did they do what they were... I think you and I would agree that we're supposed to accept their Messiah and that according to what they were charged with, why God called them out. But no, it's God's using their disobedience to bring salvation to everyone. So, and, but here, and so with that said, there's no condition here. God's stating exactly what took place. They will look on me whom they pierce. They can't get out. They're going to pierce them. Yes. In, diso in, in disobedience, but so how could they not fulfill that condition? They pierced him. So you're saying the only thing they didn't do that they were supposed to do was mourn uh, after they just killed the Messiah? That doesn't make any sense. No, the fact is, is that they will look upon me whom they pierce. Then the nation, the, the, all those gathered, they're in Jerusalem. They will mourn and not just mourn. They're going to realize who they crucified. They're going to see him because look at the verse... Um, uh, verse nine, it shall come to pass in that day that I will, that, that, that I will seek to destroy what all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I mean, this is so plain. This didn't happen in AD 70. It that mm. didn't happen. No, because they one, didn't, they never repented. Repented from what? From killing they Jesus. Look, as they're looking upon the one they pierced, they were supposed to mourn as they're looking at him. Going, oh, we should, that doesn't make sense. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to know exactly who he is and they will mourn. In the future, this is what this is saying. Now, was there a, pro a partial fulfillment of it? Absolutely. I agree with that. Part of it was fulfilled. Same nation, different generation. One's wicked, one won't be. They've gathered in unbelief. The nation that's there now, I'm not saying that's the one that's going to believe in Christ. It, God, knows when to, God knows when the return of Christ needs to take place, when those Jews will have a heart that's repentant and ready to accept their Messiah. And I'm not even saying every single living soul in Jerusalem at that. Not every single person in Jerusalem back then rejected their Messiah, as you just mentioned, Mary. So in the future, not every single person identifying as being an Israelite in Jerusalem will necessarily believe. But the vast majority of them back then, most of them didn't. In the future, most of them will. Back then, they only looked on upon him whom they pierced. They didn't care. They didn't mourn. In the future, they all will mourn. They'll realize it's not just that mourn for, how can you not see this as prophetic? As one wails for his only son, they'll realize what they did. This didn't happen. I thank you for acknowledging this didn't take place yet mm -mm. yeah no it didn't take place and it, but it's not conditional in that sense it will have a future fulfillment amen and praise the lord well the thing is it it had a fulfillment because again those who did mourn they were okay you know you know people like mary and uh john you know they were saved and again i don't think that everybody had to do that mourning necessarily on that day i believe god gave them 40 years. And when you read the book of Acts, and I know you're not of this persuasion, but like your hyper dispensationalist types, they often uh, will try to show how there was like a different gospel that they were preaching to the Jews uh, there in Acts. But the thing is, there was a physical salvation that they were preaching to the Jews in Acts chapter two. Now they had to get soul salvation to get that physical salvation, but the apostles, they understood that they were in trouble as a nation. The apostles loved their country. They loved their nation. 
and they knew they were going to be destroyed if they did not repent as a nation of killing Jesus. And Peter called them out for killing Jesus, whom ye crucified. He said to them, and they told him to repent of these things. He said, you know, he said, repent, be baptized. Everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost uh, for the promise is unto you and to your children and them that are far off, even as many of our Lord shall call. And he's he's preaching these things to them. Again, they need soul salvation to get physical salvation. Now, thank God, every single Jew that got the soul salvation, you know, is going to go to heaven. But as a nation, they never did get saved. They never did do that mourning like they were supposed to do. And so you know what? When their tribulation came, they were not delivered. When the time of Jacob's trouble, which the time of Jacob's trouble technically uh, was during the Babylonian uh, captivity time, but I do believe it was a foreshadowing of what was going to come um, in the first century. And you know what? They weren't delivered. God did not deliver Israel. God let them be destroyed. Jesus, when he made that triumphal entry, when he did what Malachi prophesied he was going to do, when he did what Zechariah prophesied he was going to supposed to do, he did not purify the sons of Levi. They did not, uh, he did not use them to offer up an acceptable sacrifice. Now he did take on the role of the high priest and he offered up himself as a sacrifice. But because Israel never accepted those things, you know, they are, are still under the wrath of God. Those things never took place. And because as a nation, they never uh, repented of what they had done to him. They were not delivered and they were blotted from the book. And the ones who were prophesied that would be saved out of the time of Jacob's trouble were those whose names were written in the book. But Psalms, I don't know how much time I have, but I, I would love to go through uh, some of the prophecies, you know, about the time of Jacob's trouble and stuff and show clearly other passages that show that they get canceled out of that uh, again, because of their rejection. And so uh, again, a future I do believe in dual fulfillments and things like that. And, but I believe whenever the way God's going to fulfill the things that he did promise concerning deliverance, those things are going to be promised through those who are of faith and not those who are of the flesh. So those will be, we will be delivered when the next tribulation comes, there will be a deliverance. And for whosoever uh, believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We won't be like Israel that suffered shame and rejection and was destroyed in 70 AD. What When we're compassed about with armies, when the Antichrist is making war with the saints, he will not succeed in wiping all of us out. Some of us will get killed, but he will not succeed in wiping us all out because he's, Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to come with clouds and he is going to gather us up and we will be saved. Anthony, before you respond, why don't we let you gentlemen have a couple more minutes to engage this question and topic. Anthony, I know there's probably several things you want to respond to. And then I'll bring in uh, the Jacob's trouble question, as that is something uh, that we should probably engage for a bit. Okay, Pastor Anthony, go ahead. Okay, so you're, you're, you, do you, you're, you do agree then that there is a future fulfillment for uh, Zechariah 12? It's just a spiritual fulfillment? I, I believe um, not, not, for said, is, not for Israel. No, I'm saying, but there is a future fulfillment fulfillment for it. Yeah, well, I, I would say the Zechariah 12 fulfillment did not come to pass because that was uh, contingent. Jesus did his part. They didn't do their part. But I do believe there's a Revelation 1-7 uh, fulfillment that's going to come. But it's, again, there's a difference there. 
uh, all the kindreds of the earth are going to wail during that time. And so, uh, yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of prophecies like that where there are, there are old Testament ones, but because Israel did not meet the terms and conditions, it will be different. For example, Ezekiel 37 that people like to bring up verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It should be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also should be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they should be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now, almost everybody says, that's talking about Jews. That's talking about Israel. God's going to put his sanctuary in the midst of them, the Jews, forevermore, because they're his people. But in Revelation 21, it says, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they sh shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Now, he, this was written to the seven churches, and it's, it's, it's saying that it's not going to be with the Jews, it's going to be with men. And then he goes on in verse 22 and says, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. Under the new and better covenant, there's no need for this everlasting tabernacle or everlasting temple. Jesus Christ replaced all of those things. So what was promised in Ezekiel 37 will actually have a better fulfillment because of the new covenant. And so it's not, I'm not looking for Ezekiel 37 to be fulfilled for the Jews. I'm looking for Revelation 21 and the prophecies that come with the new and better covenant. The prophecies of the old covenant, many of them are conditional and there's similarities to prophecies we see under the new covenant, but there are differences because the new covenant is better and it's for all the saved Jews and Gentiles. Those old covenant prophecies were exclusively about Israel and did not come to pass because of their rejection of the Messiah. Um, and I would say that, yes, there are some covenant promises, promises that are conditional. However, the, the promise of God to scatter and gather is the same group of people. And there's a curse with that. And there's a blessing with it. And I have to come back to that. But let me just ask you this, if I can, if I may, uh, Pastor McMurray, tell me where, uh, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I go off the deep end here. Mm -hmm. You have a group of people that will reject their Messiah, uh, according to God's plan, fullness of time. They crucified Jesus Christ uh, because of what they've done uh, legally. They're rejected as a whole, not as a completely, uh, not, not completely, but as a large, uh, largely. And so because of that, God turns to the Gentiles, begins to work through the, and bring, bringing his gospel through the Gentiles. Some uh, a remnant of Israel saved, uh, but, you know, all, not all of them. He says he hardens their heart. He keeps them in unbelief. That's what God's doing. And there's a time of the Gentiles. We see that take place. Nonetheless, there's always a remnant. So, so they would be preserved because a remnant's promised, Pastor. Um, so for 2,000 years, would you agree there has been a remnant of at least believing Jews mm -hmm. for 2,000? Okay. All right. So they have been preserved for 2,000 years as a remnant. So what I'm saying is they've been preserved as a nation. Some of them are getting saved. Some of them, Most of them are not. They're in unbelief. And then uh, there's a redo. A double fulfillment, a double, um, uh, yeah, well, a redo. There, here they rejected him. Uh, uh, they needed a Messiah, they needed, but in the future, they will not. And that's exactly what Scripture tells us. There, they didn't mourn for him. The inhabitants of Jerusalem didn't mourn for him. But in the future, as they are seeing the nations surround them, going to destroy them, 
the Messiah becomes again to the Mount of Olives, as Zechariah 12 tells us. And, and be, you know, they see him, they look upon him whom they pierce. Now, that doesn't mean just because they see the one that they pierce doesn't mean they would even believe in him. Hey, look at it. They saw all the miracles back then. They saw uh, demons cast out. They saw people come back to life. They heard the story of Lazarus. Some of them saw Lazarus come out of the grave stinking, and they still wouldn't believe. So just because they see a Messiah come to Jerusalem, there's no guarantee they all will believe, is there? Of course not. They didn't back then. So the very fact that you gather a group of people that even though they see the one they pierced, uh, they believe in him, they're still exercising faith, are they not? Of course they are. So what's wrong with me saying group of uh, people identifying as a nation of Israel, they'll see that Christ will return to the Mount of Olives and they will believe on that. Then they didn't, though they had all the evidence you could imagine, probably more so at that time. But they will believe on him in the future. What's so wrong with that? They, they have to believe. If they don't, they're lost. Mm -hmm. But God has a plan for that nation. Uh, as They have to believe, but they will because he will deliver that generation. See, that wicked generation has to pass. That, that's got to get out of the way. It's that wicked generation. When that wicked generation passes, and those at that time living in Jerusalem, they will believe. What's wrong with that? It's I can. I mean, it's there's so much scripture it connects with. But was, I'm not trying to. I'm asking you, where did I? What's wrong with that? Well, because salvation by faith. But. Right. Well, you already said it though. The fact that there is still a remnant today that proves God kept His promise. That's already been fulfilled. What you're looking for though is you're looking for something that already came and went in Zechariah 12 to happen again. And we don't see any indication of that. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. When Jesus Christ returns, it will not be to pour out grace and the spirit of supplication. It will be for judgment. And anyone who is left, when Jesus Christ comes back, they're the ones that are going to be slain. They're going to be the ones who are shut out of the kingdom. And we do see a similar prophecy in Revelation 1 because God did not get what he wanted. Just like in, if you go, I think it's in Exodus 19, when God came down on the mountain um, and the and melted Mount Sinai, uh, if you remember that story, we see a trumpet sounding. We see all kinds of, you know, uh, these thing, uh, thunders and lightnings and earthquakes. A lot of things we see when it comes to end times. But you know what? God did not, was not able to, fellowship and accept the Jewish people. God told them to cleanse themselves. But when God came down the mountain, he said, if they touch the mountain, kill them. One of these days, God's going to come down again. But this time there will be a people that he will be able to accept and he'll be able to call up to uh, the heavenly, you know, up to heaven with him because we will be acceptable this time because we've been washing the blood of the lamb. We, Why can't one of those groups of people be the, the people living in, let's just say Jerusalem. Why can't one of those groups of people be the inhabitants of Jerusalem? Well, I mean, they can be if they get saved right now. But and that's what I'm saying. But nothing, to... but but it ha they got to do it right now. They got to do it before Jesus Christ comes back in the clouds. Once he comes back in the clouds, it's too late at that point. They will be wailing with the rest of the world. They will not, they will not mourn. They they had their chance in their time of mourning as a people and as a nation. So all these wonderful things that could happen, so he could take care of all their enemies. They didn't do that. And so they, they got destroyed. But because of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though as a whole, the people of the flesh are under God's wrath, any of them can still find salvation today. But when Jesus comes back, nothing special for them. There's no special tribulation revival coming up or anything like that. No, it's 
it's judgment is coming. And right now, right now is their time. And uh, their their big revival already happened back in, in the early church. Well, then let me ask you, that is an interesting point. What, what, what is the 144,000? I mean, yeah, I, I think it's probably um, saints from the Old Testament. I mean, we do see in uh, Revelation chapter 14 that they're standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion. Well, we know Jesus, there's a Mount Zion that's in heaven. We know Jesus isn't on earth yet. They're, they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. I believe they're uh, the people that God has already gathered to himself. I've got some theories and speculation. I'd rather not do that here right now, but I believe those 144,000 are in heaven right now. And it's, it's, uh, they, um, you know, I think that when the rapture takes place, which I believe it's in revelation seven, we see the 144,000 that are mentioned. And then we see this, a multitude appear from every nation, kindred and tongue in heaven. I believe that's the rapture. And it's very possible that God sends them, uh, to the earth, you know, once they receive their glorified bodies, uh, because, uh, the Old Testament resurrection hasn't happened yet. It happens the same time as ours. And so once they receive their glorified bodies, God sends them down to the earth. They got a mark on them. The plagues aren't going to hurt them. And uh, they'll perform some kind of role uh, on this earth. People call them Jewish evangelists. I don't, I don't see that. I see them as witnesses. That could be them giving the gospel to people, or it could be them just testifying against the world for why they're being judged. Um, you know, I don't know. It's a lot of it, spe you know, that's people speculate, but a lot of speculation, especially speculation that's been written in books has just become like sound doctrine in people's minds. And I think there's more, we don't know about them than that. We do know, um, I, either way, I don't think the 144,000, um, give solid proof of anything. I think mainly what the Bible is doing is when it gets to the rapture after the sixth seal. It is showing God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. Here's your 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, here is also that fulfillment of the multitude of Gentiles uh, that I also promised would come in. Here they are. They, While we can number uh, those of Israel, uh, those Gentiles, you can't number them. There's, there's too many of them. So... Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff in Revelation that's symbolic, and we like to all, everybody likes to pick and choose what they want to be symbolic and what they want to be literal. I think those are good conversations, but I don't think they give solid proof of anything. I'm, I'm not saying there's not symbolism in Revelation, but when it's when it speaks clearly to us and we can understand it, you're saying that these are possibly are in heaven? I mean, in verse 2, it says, I saw another angel ascending. Uh, from the east, having the seal of the living God, and with a loud cry of voice with four angels to whom it was said, Hurt not the earth and the sea, uh, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. These aren't people in heaven. And he's saying, Don't don't bring this destruction yet because we need to pull out the 144,000. If you do it prematurely, it's what's implied here is that they'll be killed. So these are not heaven dwellers, these are earth dwellers. And it's not unclear. Now, again, you could ask me, Pastor, well, put this all in the context, explain all of this. I'm not saying that I, I've got all Revelation figured out, but when it, the scripture speaks about, don't do this yet because we haven't called these people out, don't bring this destruction yet, it's clearly not talking about people from the, uh, in heaven. And um, I wouldn't say they have resurrected bodies either uh, necessarily here because they, they wouldn't be able to be killed. 
these are people, and then it goes through why, I mean, are, is there, so that's my point, that's my response in regards to this idea of them being in heaven. Let me ask this as well. Is there any connection physically, and, and those being described here to, to the tribes that they are uh, ascribed to here? Right, so these, these, right, these could be some special people from the Old Testament. I mean, good night, you know, we've got well over a thousand years, or, or close to 2,000 years, if you count, start from the time of Abraham where there were, there were a lot of good, righteous people. We see a lot of places and judges and other parts of the Bible where they had generations that followed the Lord. And there may, uh, we see too, originally when God gave, uh, when God was giving them the law originally, and I don't fully understand this. I thought I might've came onto something one day. And I, as I studied further, it didn't pan out. Like I was kind of hoping it would, but God originally chose the firstborn God uh, to be his servants. Uh, and, uh, it gives a number of the firstborn that were originally uh, uh, selected. And I remember I counted them up one time. I was like, what if it was 144,000? Turned out it was around 12, I think. But eventually God changed that. And instead of God taking their firstborn, God chose the Levites to be his servants. And and so, again, you know, these could be just some special people. Uh, that met all those things that you know were not never defiled with women who in outro no guile, things like that. But either way you look at it, the Bible doesn't give the specifics. All I know is what in the world were these guys doing in with the Lamb on Mount Zion, you know, in Revelation chapter 14. How how are they with Jesus in heaven? I believe, and there is a Mount Zion in heaven. There's a place in the Bible that shows that. And you know, if they don't show up and get saved until after the sixth seal. Are, are we saying by Revelation 14, they're just all dead and in heaven now, even though we see a protection that's on them too? So again, there's just there's a lot of stuff that's just not making sense. Again, I've got theories in this stuff too, but mine at least don't have contradictions with anything we see in Revelation. To just assume that these are uh, people today, well, God knows who they are. That's not consistent with how God kept his promises. If God was promising to preserve a group from each tribe, then why did God have all those records destroyed when God did the miracle of preserving the records in his word, you know, from the time of Adam to Jesus Christ? It's just, it's very inconsistent to think these are uh, people from these tribes today when nobody knows what tribe they're from. Uh, yeah. Can I go, Donnie? Yeah, I was going to say, Anthony, if you want to have, um, so I guess uh, Pastor Tommy started us off on this specific topic. So Anthony, why don't you have the last uh, quick word on it? I'm going to bring in the Jacob's trouble question. We have a couple from the audience anyways on that. We're going to make that the final question. Mm -hmm. As time has flown by, we've hit the two hour mark. This has been comprehensive. And then I'm going to incorporate uh, some audience questions after we deal with uh, Jacob's trouble. But Anthony, on this topic, feel free to have a quick uh, final word. Yeah, I would say that God doesn't need the records. I mean, that was uh, he can destroy the temple, and he still knows that. But the the genealogical records were there to identify the Messiah, right? But the, the, God doesn't need that. He was identifying to the people that were living at the time that this is him, this is the Messiah, accept him. Um, with that said, he doesn't need the records. So as I'm looking at, are you saying that, uh, and you can just answer yes or not. I like going back and forth. And I'm not trying to, mm -hmm. look, you could corner me on, so I'm just asking. Are you saying that these are possibly uh, resurrected, like on earth resurrected? Yeah, I, I, th okay. I think I think they are 
from the Old Testament. They get resurrected in the rapture in Revelation chapter seven. And, uh, you know, there are, they said so they're in heaven now. Okay. But they're, they're resurrected and God sends them to earth. So if they're resurrected, are they actually part of the tribes that they're ascribed to then? Possibly? Yeah. Then yeah. You, you do have a future for Israel. Pastor yes. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because, again, there's a resurrection coming. And hey, so God's going to keep his promises. But nonetheless, there is a future for Israel. Well, there's a, there's a future. Yeah, let me. Let, I, I got this picture, especially for that. We there wouldn't is, agree on the details, but we still are. Right. We're, we're there's a future for them, <laughs> but there's no future. The future for them is bad. Future for them, good. Future for them, bad. So, yes, unless they are of faith. Unless they right. Yeah. Unless unless they become, you know, them. So again, because a because the Bible says that we're going to come from the east and the west. He said this to the centurion. Said, I'm not seeing faith like this. No, not in Israel. They're going to come from the east and the west, and they're going to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. So we are we're going to sit with the resurrected saints of the Old Testament, the resurrected men and women who were of faith. Where you know who are not going to sit with in the kingdom? We're not going to sit with these people. They're going to be cast into outer darkness. They're going to be like they are today at their wailing wall, you know, weeping. And wailing because they've been sh they're shut out of their temple area, symbolic of them being shut out of the kingdom. It's exactly what Jesus prophesied was going to happen, unless they come to faith. Obviously, which right. that's all I'm saying is that yeah, and, and I'm just saying when Jesus on. comes back, when Jesus comes back, if they're still this, they're going to be destroyed. Okay, but all right. Well, anyways, I would disagree. All right, so go ahead, Jacob's trouble. Gentlemen, yes, excellent discussion. This has been a ton of fun. The live chat tonight has also been very lively. Lots of uh, a solid mix of both positions. And so they're definitely going at each other too. So this has been great. I am going to, uh, lots of opinions in the live chat, which is good because this discussion has, has sparked some really good engagement from people. Okay, so we're going to incorporate the, the final um, question for tonight, but we've got some excellent audience questions that I am going to incorporate after we engage this one a little bit, and then we'll wrap up the entire show with some closing statements. So do you believe the time of Jacob's trouble is about trouble for the Jews or trouble for the church? Anthony, why don't, uh, for this one, why don't we start with you and go ahead. Floor is yours. Um, so I believe that it, I don't know why it can't be uh, both. It's speaking about, I, I, I mean, I believe it's uh, the tribulation, but in regards to it's, if you look at the scripture centers on Jerusalem, centers on Israel at that time, I believe. And so it's described as Jacob's trouble. And so I guess you're, this gets into the rapture and whatnot. And I haven't come to a solid position in regards to the rapture. I am not one who sees a sharp distinction between Israel and the church, because I think that uh, there's believing uh, members of the of Israel that become part of the church, and so the Israel, in regards to how I'm referring to them, is uh, unbelieving Israel. So the time of Jacob's trouble is just describing a time in which, yes, the the culmination of the ages lands on this uh, ge uh, region of the earth, and it's described. It's called that because you you see the nations, the armies, the enemies of uh, Israel begin to surround them and. So it, it is the time of Jacob's trouble, which uh, culminates in, and causes them to uh, cry out to their Messiah who comes back to the Mount of Olives. So 
uh, the question was, is it uh, something that the church, I don't know, something that the church goes through? Again, I haven't completely landed on a, a pre-trib, mid-trib, or, or post-trib. I'm not, I'm, I'm right now out here to all three tribs. I think there's three buses out. I think Jesus said, pray that you may be found worthy to escape all things. And so I think that's referring to uh, the church and Israel at the time. They need to pray. They need to get saved and then be found worthy to escape all these things. So it's called Jacob's Trouble because it centers on that region of the world. But um, I think it, can, it will also include at that time uh, Christians um, that just haven't been raptured yet. So there you go. Anthony, thank you very much for that response to the question. Pastor Tommy, over to you. Yeah, so is the time of Jacob's trouble for the church or for the Jews? Well, the time of Jacob's trouble uh, specifically was for the Jews, and it was during the time of the Babylonian captivity. Now, one thing about prophecies in the, during the time of the captivity, many of those prophecies um, had, they were prophecies about things that were going to come in their day, but they were also included some messianic prophecies. And it's like that a lot with a lot of the messianic prophecies. If you, you can read one verse, that's definitely about Jesus, but then the rest of it, it was about stuff in their day. And so the problem that a lot of people are having when they see something mess, uh, uh, that's about, you know, what we would call end times, they make everything about that. But if you look at Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse three, it says, for lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. That happened after their 70 years of captivity. Psalm 126 says, when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we are like them that dream. That was written after they returned to their land. Psalm 85 was also written after that. And it says, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. And so we see God did restore them to their land after that time of trouble that they went through. But without a doubt, there were uh, prophecies about what I would call end times for Israel. But again, those prophecies were contingent. We see in Daniel 12, 1, 2, it says, And at that time, Michael shall stand up, that great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never once since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now, I do believe that that prophecy was supposed to be about Israel. But again, Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. So it didn't, these, the time of Jacob's trouble prophecies, the uh, uh, Matthew 24, or um, I'm sorry, but yeah, the time of Jacob's trouble prophecies, those things did not find their fulfillment in the first century because of the Jews rejection. And so notice in Daniel 12, it said, no, those who are going to be delivered are those who are written in the book. But Psalm 69, this proves that that can't be referring to the Jews because Psalm 69 says, verse 21, and they gave me also gall for my meat and my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. That's uh, We see that in Romans 11, 7 through 10. Pour out thine indignation upon them. Let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate. Let none dwell in their tents. Remember what Jesus said, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For they 
persecute him whom thou hast smitten. They talk to the grief of those who thou hast wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity. Let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So that deliverance during that time of trouble, it's going to become for those written in the book. And this group in Psalms 9 and Psalm 69 shows that those people who killed Jesus, their names are blotted from the book. And so the group that we see talked about uh, in Psalm 69 was the group that crucified Jesus, the group who God would blind, the group would experience God's wrath, the group whose habitation would be desolate. All of that happened with Israel. So understand, you yeah, you can make a connection to the tribulation uh, when it comes to that. But uh, again, that the, those delivered during that time of trouble are those written in the book. When Jacob's trouble came, they weren't written in the book. And that's why they got uh, rejected. And that's why they got destroyed. And so we, uh, I don't think we need to go to Jeremiah necessarily to find out what's going to happen to us. I go to the book of Revelation. Thank you, Pastor Tommy. Very good, Anthony and Tommy. Over to you, Anthony, for your response. Yeah, Jesus, I mean, there was an abomination of desolation by Antiochus Epiphanes, but Jesus spoke about it as a future event. There is double fulfillments all throughout the scripture. And the prophecies that Pastor McMurtry was speaking about that there was some messianic fulfillment, but the other part wasn't. That's oftentimes speaking about this full and future and far fulfillment. We see that clearly in Zechariah 12. Uh, it's partially fulfilled in John 19, but it can be completely fulfilled at the time of Christ's return. Uh, yes, their house was less de left desolate, but Jesus says that they will. He says, for I tell you, you will not see me again. What? Now, notice it says here, you will not see me again. Sorry for my camera. This is totally consistent with Zechariah 12. I think Zechariah 12 is the bulwark here that can really begin to uh, shed some light in some of these things that have seemed gray. Uh, you will not see me again when? Uh, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they were left desolate, but they will in the future say, blessed is he. When they see him, it comes in the name of the Lord. It's so, uh, it's so tight and consistent that let's don't uh, confuse the things that aren't confusing. Um, that's the word of, of the Lord. And... <clears throat> And so, uh, yes, uh, uh, Jacob's the time of Jacob's trouble, we do see there was a near fulfillment, different aspects of it, but there will be a total and future and complete fulfillment that results in the salvation of Israel at that time. These, these in the past did not completely. So. Go ahead, Tommy. Uh, yeah, again, th that when they do prophecies like that, when Jesus is kind of giving a uh, you know, that's, that's a condition, you know, you're not going to see me until you just, it doesn't mean they're all going to do that. You know, the, and, and you could say too, people do that when they recognize who it was that came when Jesus came at that triumphal entry, there were there some who were praising him, singing Hosanna means oh save. But again, as a whole, they rejected him and they need to, you know, recognize who came that day. He's not going to give him another Zechariah 9, 9. He's not going to give him another Malachi 3 and 4. Okay, None of those things are going to happen. All of those things happened. And today, in the day of salvation, they can claim those things if they will believe on him. And so, again, you're, um, you're expecting Jesus to do all those things that he did again. No, Jesus did those things. And he, and he did. 
he died on the cross. He poured out grace and supplication. And even though it's been 2000 years since that took place, they can still have a time of mourning. Now they can still, you know, claim what he did for them now, but we know he's not going to come and die on the cross again. But for some reason we think he's going to do all these other things again. No, the things have already been done. Israel must accept that. Now they must recognize who he was now. They must say, blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. Now, if they don't do that, when he comes the next time, done. <clears throat> but Jesus says that you won't see me again. And that's when you will say it. So they need to see him again. That's exactly what Jesus said. Anyways, I'll be quiet. Well, again, I don't, again, I don't think he's going to give him another special revelation to, uh, ex you know, accept that. And I'm just so, giving what Jesus said. What Jesus said is, "You will, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.'" That's not conditional. Jesus is making a prophetic statement. But sorry, Donnie. Oh no, that's okay. If, if, so you think so? When he comes the next time, do you think that all of the Jews are just going to accept him? I think that Zechariah 12 is talking about the gathered inhabitants of Jerusalem, as it clearly states. And no, of course he won't be crucified again. That's blasphemous mm -hmm. to even say anything like that. The fact that they will see him, you know. Uh, he still had the scars in his hands when Thomas saw him, right? Mm -hmm. they look at these scars. They will see him. You talk to a Jewish person today, and mm -hmm. they are the, of that generation, that unbelieving generation, but they know who Jesus is. They know who Jesus claimed to be. And it's, when he comes back to the Mount of Olives, when he has these scars, he delivers them, he destroys their enemies, then they will say, after their, see, Jesus says, your house will be left desolate, but then you will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord when you see me. That's when it will happen. You see and you say, blessed. That hasn't happened yet, but it will. Maybe not every single person living in Jerusalem, I would grant you. Not everyone back in 2,000 years ago uh, uh, didn't uh, uh, rejected him. Not all of them did. So just like not all of them rejected, well, not all of them in the future will accept, but most of them will. And they will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, as Jesus prophesied right there. So when he said that, and he said, you're not going to see me again, that that has to be a physical seeing of him it can't be like it is when we you know re recognize who he is it can't be like when we hear him you know how to, you know we hear him when we understand when we believe and so you know we have we've you know blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god you know um that's not the one i'm thinking of but we have scriptures that talk about how we hear him how we see him is by faith and so the thing is it sounds like you're taking that and demanding that it mean a physical sight when it, you know jesus you know uh, and you know what did jesus say to thomas you know blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe we shouldn't have to have a physical sighting of those things the only sign jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and no sign should be given to it but the sign of the prophet jonas jesus gave him a sign when he died and he rose again three days later which the way you're taking that you're seeming to claim jesus is going to you know, break his promise about only giving the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he's going to give him yet another sign. And then this time they'll believe they didn't believe the one that he said he was going to give them, but they're going to believe this next one. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense the, either. The because... sign is clued in that. But what I want to say is, and that's amazing. I, I want you to recognize this. You're saying that I'm forcing on the text a literal uh, seeing. No, John interprets it in John 19 and says, they will look on him whom they pierce. So he's talking about a physical looking upon. Uh, uh, or at least the people of Jerusalem, those that are inhabited there and are in proximity of that, of their Messiah. 
And so, yeah, it's a future. Uh, that's what's required. That's why they're not believing now. Right. But they I looked mean, at but, him when they pierced, but they didn't see what he was doing. They didn't understand. You know, they heard him say, Father, forgive them for they know yeah. what to do. But yet again, they were uh, they were blinded to the exactly. things that had, had taken place. And the way we see these things is through faith. His problem that he had with them is that they had is that they had no faith. And so yeah. the thing is, until they repent of that rejection, they're not they're not going to see him. I don't think that demands a physical seeing of him again i think they need to figure out who he is recognize that and that's where that fulfillment you're, is at. you're because i don't see anything in prophecy there, yeah. to me there's there's nothing in prophecy that shows him revealing himself to israel again so they can be saved the prophecies are consistent but zechariah 12 again that fulfillment took place john spelled that out for us not it all just, of it, though. And Jesus right. says, well, but Jesus's part did. Jesus's part took place. Okay, they Jesus didn't says, do what they were supposed to do. Zechariah is again is full of instruction of what they were supposed to do. It tells us what the Messiah is going to do and what they were supposed to do. In the Gospels, we see the Messiah doing his part. We see Israel doing everything wrong, doing nothing that they were supposed to do. Okay. Uh, so Jesus says, your house is left to you desolate. It's, and he says that they will say in the future, bless as a, as a corporate, as a group, as a nation. He's talking corporately here, not individualizing it. And it, when you when you have this prophecy from the Lord and you go look at Zechariah 12 and you see how this it just and that's not the only thing. I just like to focus on a couple of scriptures so we can go back and forth on them. And I appreciate what you're saying. Again, we agree in some areas, I think, surprising. Um, but or you're saying that it could be fulfilled spiritually when, when a Jewish person believes that's when they say, blessed is he that comes, comes in the name of the Lord. I'm just saying you don't have to spiritualize it. Where does it say in scripture that when Jesus Christ returns, that the Israelites can't believe on him at that point? None of them can. At that point, it's over with. I understand you have judgment language. You have Matthew 25, but it doesn't say that when he returns, because it says, I will, I will defend you against the nations. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why is time up? Complete, at what at what point is time up when he shows up in the sky when he lands i mean what, what's where's the problem in that Where, how does that why, why is that such right. a problem in your system why can't because it, you're you know? you're making that assumption based on prophecies that have already been fulfilled jesus already presented himself to israel he already did all these things and they rejected him and there's nothing in the scriptures that says he's going to do it again but i've i've gone through scripture after scripture showing that when he returns, when the when the heir comes back that they had killed and rejected, he's going to destroy them. And I don't see and I don't hear you talk about that at all. He, there's there's a destruction that is coming specifically from Jesus directly to those who rejected him. And as far as that, you know, uh, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, that could be a reference to. Because I do believe there are certain things that are going to take place and that are going to be fulfilled uh, in Jerusalem with all of us in God's kingdom. And when Jesus comes during that time, we're all going to be saying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord during that time. We're going to see him. And so any of those Jews, if they will believe on him, you know, they're going to see him on that day and be saying that. But to just assume that that means, no, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be this mass uh, you know, salvation that takes place with the Jews. It's not consistent with the scriptures. You're, 
you're inserting that in there because you've you just already decided God's not done with Israel, meaning there's this big revival coming from again. I'm saying there's big no, destruction. You've inserted a condition to Zechariah 12 that doesn't exist. I haven't inserted anything. And I do believe that I don't mean to cut you off. I'll be quiet. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. No, I mean, what about what about Zechariah 619? I mean, you do need a you have you cannot just isolate absolutely you cannot isolate chapter 12. The book of Zechariah is giving instructions to Israel for uh to rebuild the temple and to wait for a Messiah who is gonna come and who is gonna to offer a cleansing for them as a people and who is gonna do all these things from the people. And there are countless instructions that are given to them there that they never fulfilled that they never did. They were disobedient to those things. And the gospels record that the gospels show us their, their disobedience. Cause, he, cause here's what you have to understand too. I mean, you, I know you would agree that Israel sinned when they crucified Jesus. I get it that it was God's will, that it was God's plan, but they, they sinned when they rejected him as the Messiah, they sinned. When they were not ready at his triumphal entry and were not acceptable, they sinned. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what would have happened if they would have accepted Jesus as Messiah? You know how we find out? We read Zechariah. We read Malachi. We read, we read Ezekiel. Those books show us what would have happened if Israel would have accepted Jesus as Messiah. But they rejected. They disobeyed. The apostles understood this, and that's why they preached repentance to them, not just so they could get soul salvation, but so they could be cleansed as a nation from the greatest sin that has ever taken place in all of history, the killing of the Son of God. And they never repented of that. They did not do what they were supposed to do. And so they lost the inheritance. They and they were destroyed, and the the prophecy many of the prophecies that we see in the old testament were not fulfilled through that physical nation but we do understand that there will be a fulfillment of those prophecies through the spiritual nation through the people of faith that's in the future and it will exclude those of israel who are the vessels of wrath Fitted for destruction that Paul talked about in Revelation or in Romans chapter nine. Was that Anthony, right? I'm going to give you the opportunity. No, that's fine. Great discussion, Anthony. Let's give you just a real quick response to that. Then for this specific topic, we'll give Tommy the the quick final word, and then I'm going to get in some audience questions while we have the uh, while we have the chance. So go ahead, Anthony. I would just say Zechariah 12 localizes it and it specifies it to someone who's who's pierced. And so that it, it updates it to the point of time of Christ and then future in regards to the inhabitants of Jerusalem mourning and wailing for him. But and they have to recognize who he is because it's for their as one with, for their for a firstborn son. But with that said, um, the, you've just put taken a lot of scripture, a lot of scripture and said, well, it's it has uh, there will be no fulfillment uh, because although it doesn't say it's conditional, there, there's an implied condition. And um, that's to me, I just. That's that's dangerous. Uh, that's a dangerous road to go down. With that said, um, well, again, there's just they didn't do it then. But when that wicked generation, all these things, uh, this generation shall not pass till all these things take place. All these things that are going in regards to the desolation and 
but it, it will pass. The generation at that time will believe. What's wrong with that? You're agreeing in spiritual sense that that's going to take place. So we're close. There's hope. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I just believe, I believe all the things that are prophesied will be fulfilled through this. I Not through this. Nobody, the, too. How these do people, are, yeah, these people aren't know? capable. Tell okay, me how the, I don't. Because, well, you know, you said that you're saying a lot of stuff's not going to be fulfilled. No, a lot of things are going to be fulfilled. But in the Old Testament, God was showing these people what they had to do to get the inheritance through the law. They weren't able to do it. So they, this is how God fulfilled all those things. Tell me how through, my through system, Jesus Christ. Tell me how my system allows things to be fulfilled without the cross. Right, because because, because after this failed... And after this succeeded, okay, you know, you're still claiming something that is yet to be fulfilled through this. I'm just and, saying, no, not, be, not through that. This just God yeah. is not done dealing with them and they will come to faith. They will well, come to faith. Dude, I mean, I don't, I, I, there's nothing. If, that, if you're going to Zechariah for that, no, that's when, the when, when, when they oh. tried to, when they tried to fulfill Zechariah 12, it <laughs> failed bad. They were saying crucify him, crucify him. They weren't, they weren't mourning. But again, you know, understand too that Jesus was from Israel. And so because Jesus did everything right, and Jesus fulfilled all things. And so again, to to claim something special for a religious people who uh have a religion dedicated to you know hating him and rejecting him. I think it's very, I think it's very blasphemous. I think it's, I think it's blasphemous that they call themselves Israel, you know, but it was prophesied they were going to do that. Uh, you know, and cause it is, it's, it's a part of that B system. So, um, you know, there, so understand under that new and better covenant, a lot of things change okay? in the old Testament, the circumcision that was to be done forever. The Levitical priesthood was to be forever. The practicing of the Passover forever there's a lot of things we see in the old testament that say forever well if, forever but, can mean in the old i mean for an age uh, for its duration you see that the uh fire that burned sodom and gomorrah was a was an eternal fire mm -hmm. i mean it was it's not like it's still burning there I, it does it's to, for its complete duration and age that said um there's no condition in zechariah 12 it just isn't it's just that this will happen they're going but well, uh, again, there. Uh, you know, the Bible also says in Jonah, "Yea, in forty days, and Nineveh should be overthrown." That didn't happen, did it? That was conditional. Well, was a lot of prophecies like that are conditional, even though a condition wasn't even spelled out in there. Prophecy is not always just telling you what's going to happen. It's but sometimes it, it is, right? So, sometimes, okay. sometimes, yeah, sometimes it is. Um, for it's sure. Not when it deals with Israel. It's, it's, yeah. And, and there are, and there are certain times and there, well, no, there's, and there's certain times too, when it's, when it's put in a way like, and usually too, when prophecies are not conditional at all, often those prophecies are spoken of in the past tense. When you see a prophecy spoken of in the past tense, that usually means there's, there's no changing it. For example, uh, when God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. Well, Abraham didn't have any kids when God said that. But we we see the Apostle Paul said God speaks of those things that be not as though they are. Whenever you see uh, the in prophecy 
them speaking of things in the past tense, it's done. That's not that's not changing. You know, and the so scattering the scattering was due was because of judgment. And then the same verse in, in Isaiah 11, 11, it's a second gathering. The scattering is is because of disobedience. The gathering, what is that for? It's to bring about the end of the ages, the same group of people. It's not talking about gathering the church, scattering Israel, gathering the church. That's not a consistent hermeneutic. But well, I mean, you haven't shown uh, where there's going to be another gathering of Israel. There's two uh, of them. Yeah, you you mentioned Second that at time. the beginning, but uh, that was never that was never displayed. The gathering of is regathering of Israel. You know that happened after the Babylonian captivity. When did it happen uh, a second time? Well, where does it say it has to happen a second? Isaiah time? eleven eleven says what the second it? time. And but Isaiah, but the Isaiah prophecies too. Yeah, the Isaiah prophecies; those were ones that were given before. Uh, those were about the um, Assyrian captivity that was going to come. That was a complete. You know, there was. But we're going. We're going you're going time. way back. This is uh, a when, second time. Okay. Well, we okay. probably better get to the audience yeah. questions because that's <laughs> that's a whole other uh, thing that uh, we could probably spend a lot of time on. Well, gentlemen, I was just saying in the live chat, you both have great endurance. We may have set a record now for the most comprehensive debate on dispensationalism out there. So great job to the both of you pastors. And we will get into some audience questions. So here we go. I'm excited for a lot of these. And okay, we're, we're just going to start all the way at the beginning, two and a half hours ago. So born again, RN. Question for both. If promises of God to Israel not fulfilled yet now apply to the church, where in the New Testament does it say this? Um, Pastor Anthony, why don't we, I, I guess it's probably, it's more so directed at you, Pastor Tommy. So let's start with you. Yeah, man, I'm glad to ask that question because I didn't get to this. I had it in my notes, but Hebrews, all right, who's Hebrews written to? Hebrews, right? It says, God who, at, in verse, chapter one, verse one, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus Christ inherits all things. Why? Because he's the only one that fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled all the things and all of the prophetic promises can be fulfilled in Jesus Christ because he took on him the seed of Abraham. That's explained right uh, here in Ch Hebrews chapter one. We won't go into all that. So all those promises that God made Israel, everybody understands they don't have to go to every single person that came from Israel. It, the fact that there was a seed that God was able to uh, preserve that seed through Jesus Christ shows that he fulfilled the promises that those laws were given uh, because of transgressions until the seed came to whom the promises were made. That's what it says in Galatians 3. Jesus was that seed. And so Jesus inherits all things. So all the promises that were to Israel, Jesus Christ possessed all those things. And we are joint heirs with Christ. So again, what promise did God give to Israel that Jesus does not have claim to? And what promise does Jesus have claim to that I don't have claim to as a joint heir with Christ? So uh, Hebrews couldn't be more clear. The apostle Paul talked about the inheritance of the saints. And he talked about how we as a church, 
We are we have a part in that. Do a study sometime just on the inheritance. Look up all the uh, references in the New Testament to the inheritance, the inheritance of the saints. And then and I dare you to try to separate that inheritance from the one that God promised to Abraham, the one that God promised to Israel. You can't do it. Those inheritances were given to Jesus Christ. God chose to fulfill his promises through the elect, through his elect, Jesus Christ, through the chosen one, Jesus Christ. And as a joint heir, I have claim to those things. Perfect timing. That's two minutes. Thank you so much, Tommy. Uh, Pastor Anthony, over to you. What promises can uh, you not lay claim to that was promised to Jesus Christ? Well, for one, to sit on the throne of David. I mean, that was directly to Jesus Christ and can't be fulfilled by the nation of Israel. Uh, that was a covenant. Um, the promises to Israel can be fulfilled and also be fulfilled to the firstborn amongst the group, which is was just Jesus Christ. And again, I would say that to be part of the of Israel that receives these promises, they, they would need to believe they're going to believe it's not unbelieving Israel that does that. So Jesus Christ does win these uh, promises, does um, because of his obedience, but it's still to that same group of people. Um, so I that's I would say so the, to the question, I'd probably say uh, the, the New Testament doesn't say this. Um. What about Revelation 3.21? To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Is that not the throne of David? Well, of, of course, but it's not the, the, the fulfillment of, of was First Samuel 7 in regards to I will establish this throne forever. Uh, it's That's to Jesus. It's not Hebrews 1. Uh, to your God, oh God, the the... The throne of your father. I mean, that's t directly to Jesus Christ. You, you don't claim to you're receiving that. You're not part of the fulfillment of, of the Davidic covenant, are you? I mean, I'm going to sit with him on his throne. I, you know, again, I don't, I'm not taking any credit for it. You know, the fact that I'm able to sit there is because of what he did for me. You know, because of his cleansing he gave me, because he's sharing his inheritance with him. I mean, all, all glory goes to to Jesus Christ for that. But again, he inherited all things. Again, all Jesus will sit on the throne of David. Jesus took on the role of high priest. Jesus did everything. Again, these are these things, all the promises, all the inheritance, it's all about Jesus Christ. So but you and, would agree with the question then. You would say that it doesn't say that then, right? It just, uh, it's yeah, because I'm a joint heir with Christ. So again, okay. I don't see anything coming for a, for a physical people. Because they're, so they're, again, there's, you're, you're saying out there, these people have some promises coming to them. No, the only saved promises ones. they have coming is judgment. Yeah, but saved Jews go right here and I'm with them. As a nation, Israel is our, it's a nation of unbelievers. It will be a nation of believers when he returns. That's what Paul says. It'll be, it'll be this when he returns. Okay, yes. And I'm, and I'm with that. But as a nation, you're right. They will turn and believe. So, so what do they have that I don't? I, I got everything. I didn't say that they do. I haven't made that point. I'm just saying there is a future for Israel. Well, I'm just saying if debated. both promises to God, to Israel are fulfilled, yet now apply to the church, where did the New Testament say this? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. But it doesn't apply to the, well, so you're saying it applies to the church. Uh, yeah, the, as, the promises that God made to Israel, those promises are fulfilled by God giving those things to Jesus. That's so God they, fulfilling his promise to Israel? to Israel. Were they ever made to Israel? 
Was that ever? Did they yeah, ever? Jesus was from Israel. So okay. the fact that Jesus will possess those things is Israel possessing those things. All right. So it, it's so, not, it's not these guys possessing those things. No, no, but what I'm saying is you're not, you're, you're not saying they ever, it changed. It's one promise to the, to whom the promise was made. The promise is, has been fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. There's been no change at all. Right. Yeah. Okay. There, I mean, there, cause there are people who would disagree with me. They would say, no, that's not the other view. It, 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 it did change. That's not what you're saying. You're saying to whom the promise was made in the old Testament, all those promises there has been no change. It's been fulfilled exactly like scripture stated. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, great back and forth on that important question. So next question comes in for pastor Tommy from James Dare. James is asking, why is God regathering the Hebrew people if replacement theology is true? Um, God isn't regathering the Hebrew people. The synagogue of Satan is working hard, and it's the system of the beast is rising up as prophesied. It's not God gathering uh, his people. No, it's, the, it's them rebelling against God. It's Israel returning their land in spite of the fact that it was taken away from them, in spite of the fact that their temple was destroyed, in spite of the fact that God revealed to them, uh, you know, that he was done with those things and he had the temple destroyed. They are, they have a desire and a goal to do the ultimate rejection, the greatest since the crucifixion, where they're going to attempt, and we believe according to Bible prophecy, rebuild the temple someday. A temple that God, God rent that veil in two. God had that temple destroyed. God is done with the things of the temple. And what we are seeing today with this quote unquote regathering of Israel, it is the world uniting in rebellion against God. And when they rebuild that temple, when the Antichrist comes in and declares himself to be God, the wor world will worship that beast. The world will unite in that rebuilding of the temple, they will unite in their rejection of Jesus Christ. And so we should not look at these Jewish people rebelling and calling it this act of God and this miracle that God's doing. No, this is rebellion and it's leading to uh, the rise of the beast system. And I do not support it at all. I'm a hundred percent against it. Thank you, Tommy, Anthony, over to you. Well, um, let me just let the, just let this just kind of sink in. You have all these, uh, again, scripture alone, uh, solo scripture, scripture, but I would say these Bible believing godly Christian people long before the 1800s for the last 2000 years have come to the same Bible Pastor McMurtry and I have come to, and they have stated these amazing things like this. They shall be brought again in their unbelief. Uh, the promises shall take place when they are in their own land before their conversion. Thomas Goodwin, volume six, page 308. We're talking about an Elizabethan Puritan, someone writing long before uh, America was even founded. You have these people that are making these consistent. And, and yet um, uh, Thomas Manton, the Jews are yet preserved as a distinct people according to the predictions of the prophet. Uh, when they are in their own land, they will have a kind of worship that will not be acceptable to God. They're saying the same thing Pastor uh, McMurtry is saying right here. They're, they're reading the scriptures. They will be in unbelief. They will have a form of worship that's not acceptable before God. But yet, when Christ returns to defend, they will believe. That's it. We're so close. We're close. There is a future for Israel. That's the topic of this debate. And, 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 and what I'm seeing in scripture, what I think scripture is screaming, 
other saints throughout the ages. In fact, the new, I would say this, the new, the, 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 uh, the new belief, the new system is not that there's a future for Israel. It's this replacement. This replacement started with Augustine. There was a seed of it there. Uh, but and it's and it's flourished and flowered throughout the Catholic Church and whatnot. But it, the, the new, the, as for Bible believers, the, the, this is the new of you. And um, so, yeah, why is he he's regathering in the unbelief? As, as the dry bones prophecy said, they would be bones, not alive. But then he will bring life into them. They'll be regathered. I'll scatter. I'll gather. I scatter. I'll gather. That's what he's done. And we should be praising the Lord for his faithfulness, telling the world, hey, look, God's, he's, it's, the time is near. And, but uh, instead, these people who are not Jews yet are, I don't get it. And as regards to the synagogue of Satan, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure this exactly, that we know exactly what's being spoken of here, but there's a synagogue of Satan. Peter was Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So, I mean, that doesn't mean that God can't, has it doesn't can't use them to, to to as part of his plan the culmination that doesn't mean he can't pour out grace on people god is the god of second chances in my life third and fourth fifth and sixth and seventh eighth and ninth tenth chances it shouldn't be surprising to us that there's this remnant this group at the end that's not of the wicked unbelieving generation that at that time when he returns they do believe when they see as he said you will when you say you 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 will when you see me again you will say blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord said it. Zechariah said it. Paul said it. And I just hope one day Pastor Mercio is going to say it. That's okay, thank you, Anthony. Uh, Pastor Tommy, the question was for you, so you get the last word. Go ahead. Yeah, um, there's. I don't. I'm not, I don't claim this idea came from the 1800s. I think this idea of something happening with the Jews came in the first century in 132. Uh, they have the famous Simon Bar Kokhba revolt, who I forgot what the Hebrew term they use for him now, but it means false Messiah. He believed that he was the Messiah. He tried to have the temple rebuilt and it was and uh, there was a massive destruction from the Romans. Again, over 500,000 Jews were killed. It was a horrible time. They literally uh, they, the Roman emperor wanted these attempts to rebuild the temple to stop. And so what did he do? He uh, literally stripped everything down to the foundation. They literally plowed over Mount Zion uh, like a field, like prophesied in Micah. And they ended up building a temple to Jupiter over the spot where the temple was. And they changed the name of the land to Palestina. He wanted to remove the memory of Jerusalem from that area so they would stop trying to rebuild this temple. But guess what? The Jews never forgot. The Jews, for the la for ever since 70 A.D., in their rebellion, in their rejection of Christ, standing in outer darkness, have been weeping and wailing, wanting that temple again, trying to uh, get the world behind them to help them get that going again. So, of course, that teaching that, you know, that Judaizing has been infiltrating good churches since the first century. Paul had to deal with these things constantly. And so I don't, I don't claim any of this Zionist foolishness started in the 1800s. I think it started in the first century. So of course you're going to find people confused. Now, I think a lot of saved people get confused on it. You know, one thing I appreciate about talking to somebody like you, I feel like you have salvation, right? And you're, uh, you're, you don't believe dispensational salvation. You're not going into these damnable heresies. And I think there's a lot of good saved people that are still expecting some future for Israel, but I just think it's an error. I think it's a false teaching 
And I do think it leads uh, where it leads. And I think, and I don't know if you're, if you're one of these people that would claim to be that, but it leads to where Christians are actually supporting the rise of the beast who had a deadly wound that was healed. I believe that's a reference to Israel coming back as a nation. And uh, uh, on its name are written names of blasphemy. This is not something we should support. I do not believe Christians should stand with Israel. I don't believe that we should, um, you know, try to be like a, you know, you know, we should have this attitude that if we bless a Jew, we get like some special blessing and that, you know, we're receiving blessings from the Jews. No, Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that, of that blessing. The, all the nations of the world were blessed by Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. We're not blessed by them today. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be cursed by them and it's what they do uh and obviously it's prophetic and it's a part of god's plan but it's going to destroy the world okay thank you uh tommy now we've got a question for you uh pastor anthony so question from stefan question for pastor anthony aren't those promises to israel on the provision they stay faithful weren't it permanently revoked after constant transgression? I would say no, it wasn't. I mean, Paul says they're beloved because they're because of the fathers. And so there, God has a plan uh, for the literal descendants, physical descendants, believing physical descendants of uh, Abraham, um, Isaac and and Jacob in the future. That's it. So some of them, the promises that some of them could have participated in, as Pastor McMurtry said, uh, they didn't, but there's a future fulfillment in which those promises will uh, will be. They will receive as a believing nation. And that's all I'm saying. That's 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 all I'm saying. They are in unbelief. He, God can't bless them and, and give them promises in that regard in unbelief. But in the future, when God says He will do this for Israel, He will be able to do that because there will be a nation that has turned to their Messiah. That's just it's that simple. Um, so not, but not permanently, not as a nation. I mean, God doesn't reject. You can't. I mean, because we both agree, it's not that they can't get saved because they're they're uh, Jewish or Israel or Israelites. I'm just saying, as a nation, as the, as the institute of Israel, there will be a time when it will turn to their Messiah, and then all those promises will be fulfilled and kept. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Tommy, over to you for your response. Yeah. Israel is a wonderful picture of the mercy of God. It says in uh, Malachi 3, 9 or uh, 3, 6, for I am the Lord. I change not. And therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I mean, the entire Old Testament is Israel sinning. And yet God is not consuming them. Romans 11 is just the ultimate picture of the grace of God that in spite of all they did, in spite of all their rejection, in spite of them killing the Messiah, God will still save them. But at the same time, the Bible spells it out. Now is the time, acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And there is there is a limit to these things. There, there is an end to these things. And when Jesus Christ comes back, The Bible does not show him gathering them all up and restoring them at that point. It shows him destroying them. It shows him telling them to bring them and slay before me. It it shows them being cast into outer darkness. It shows them being shut out of the kingdom. 
we've gone off of prophecy after prophecy like that. But because just because of what you're reading in Zechariah 12, you're throwing all those prophecies out. And that's that's not right. And then, you know, the dispensations, they'll get very eloquent about the grace of God and, you know, and, and his goodness and his, and his mercy. And yeah, all that's true. And we're seeing that today, but the day of wrath is coming. And Paul said, wrath has come on them to the uttermost. And now is their time to, to get out of that. And God will still say them. You know why? Cause he's already changed. Not therefore the sons of Jacob, they're not consumed. They're still here. There, there's still some of them out there, but that day of vengeance is coming. It's it's prophesied, and the day of vengeance is bad for the Jews. Thank you very much, Tommy. And Anthony, question was for you. This time you get the last word. Uh, again, so you have, in regards to their transgression, yes, they're, they are in unbelief. and and But Paul cl clearly says, he asks these just wonderful questions. Now he says, Speaking of the Israelites rejecting their Messiah, now if uh, the fall of them be riches of the world, we, we, I mean, that's the gospel's gone out into the world because they've rejected their Messiah. If the fall of them uh, be, uh, be riches uh, of the world and the diminishing of, of them, excuse me, be riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? There's a time where that will take place. Um, if the casting away of them be reconciliation of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So there is a time in which they will, and you will see the millennium will will, will uh, be uh, inaugurated. That's that's what that's what's clearly spoken of here. They're going to return, and the this the blessing of the nations, this um, life from the dead. It, Paul plainly is showing that there's yeah, there's a time of unbelief, but then they will turn back. And I don't want to think Pastor McMurtry has a place in his system for this receiving of them for this their fullness. For this turning back to a, a, a ending of their time of unbelief as a nation, not individually. He's not talking about individuals here. I'm not sure he has a place for them in, this, in, in his system for this. Um, are you referring to what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Right. And the yeah. uh, diminishing of them, riches, yeah. the, how much more their fullness? Uh, that Yeah. So when they get saved, that's life from the dead. Just like us. You know why? Because... And this is in Romans 11, also in Romans 11, it says in verse 32, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. God has put the Jews in the same boat as the rest of this world. And so what is it when we get saved? It's life from the death, from the uh, dead. Same thing for the Jews. So again, you, he's you speaking know, corporately. You're, you're reading everything in, in Romans 11 as though. It's going to happen in the future, even though everything in Romans 11 it was about the present. And Paul was literally using himself as proof of that. Romans 11 fits perfectly in my theology because Romans 11 is all about the present. It's not about the future. And I mean, Paul even literally said in the passage, even so at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. So. Yeah, what is the receiving of Jews? It's life from the dead. It's because they are dead. They are also dead in their trespasses and sins. Anthony, you can have the last word. Go ahead. Yeah, but, but Paul's speaking corporately here, and he's speaking about a certain time. Jews are in unbelief. Uh, the the While olive branch has been grafted in, the time of the Gentiles. It's not talking about this time of the Gentiles and, and uh, Jews be getting saved throughout that time. It's talking corporately. 
And he's saying the corporately they have been they've fallen, not completely, but their their rejection of their Messiah has brought salvation to the world. What will it bring when they corporately turn to their Messiah? And the life from the dead he's speaking of here, I believe, is a resurrection that takes place at the beginning of the millennium, because that's what will be inaugurated. They'll accept their Messiah, and Christ will reign from the throne of David in Jerusalem. It's a very simple system. Just let the Bible speak. He's not talking about individuals. Corporately, they rejected. It brought blessings. How much more blessings will it bring to the world when they don't reject? And this is, yeah. you can't, you can't take a corporate, you can't get this, Paul's talking corporately here, and then here he's just going individual. It's not. You can't, this is why you can't change the words. It doesn't say time of the Gentiles. You're reading that in there. It no, says, it, it, it says the, until the fullness of the, until the multitude of Gentiles come in, until the fullness, of, it does not talk about the time of the Gentiles. You're putting a time period in there because that's what all the, that's what all the theologians have done. That's what's in all the books. That's not what the passage says. It says until. Yeah, until the fullness of the Gentiles be coming. That's not a that's not a time period. That's a specific thing. Until this fullness or multitude of Gentiles come in. That's not that's not this like special time period that you put on a chart. It's just saying these things are going to happen. And when that fullness of the Gentiles comes in, God, God's going to be done. Those things will be fulfilled. Revelation seven is going to happen, and we're going to have a, a resurrection. You're going to have the 144,000 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to have the multitude from every nation that no man could number. Um, but again, you're you're reading things in there that aren't there. Jesus and, calls it. I believe in Luke 24, the time of the Gentiles will trodden down at Jerusalem. That's but, a but completely that's different thing. That's a completely, that's, no, that's a complete, this isn't talking about a time period. It's talking about a multitude of Gentiles coming. What does until mean? It, the, have to, have, it the, has to take place in time. Well, yeah, until this, this uh, event of Gentiles coming in is finished. We don't know when that's going to be, but, but that time of the, the time it. of the Gentiles, that was a time when the Gentiles are treading down you know, Jerusalem. That's not talking about, on. that's not talking about Gentiles being saved. So you're saying the the, until the time, until the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. I'm saying the time of the Gentiles is a time okay. that Jesus was talking about when he's prophesying judgment on Jerusalem. And I'm seeing and, two fulfillments in that AD 70. Well, he said, you're, you're, you're making a connection and you know, that's, you know, you're assuming is there based on your theology. But again, Romans 11 is not talking about a time period where the Gentiles are trotting down Jerusalem. It's oh, okay, talking but, but, about a multitude of Gentiles coming in and being saved. Is it That's not two a, different things? Is it there is a, a time of Gentiles where they are treading over Jerusalem. This isn't talking about that. Where in, in Romans 11 does it talk about Gentiles trotting down Jerusalem? It, it has it nothing to do with it. It's talking about how is how Jews can still be saved. And, you know, there's blindness in part that's taking place that's going to be there until this fullness of the Gentiles, until this multitude of Gentiles come in. Which so will be the... Why are you connecting, why are you connecting the, you know, uh, time of the Gentiles into that? That's a different thing. No, I think that it's, a, it's the culmination of that. But, but, but let, me, let me just get back to here. Until the fullness, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Are we in this period now? Yeah, it's, it's happening now. Okay, is there an until? When's the until? When's that? Is, is there a time of that? Until this? Jesus comes back. So it does end. There is yeah, an until. There's a time. Yeah, and and so all Israel shall be saved because it's how they will be saved. 
you know how they're able to be saved? The whole chapter has been how they can be saved right now. How? Because the, the deliverer came and turned ungodliness away from Jacob. We can talk about how sinful they are, but Jesus came and he died on the cross and turned ungodliness away from them. And so that's it's the covenant that he promised to them. And so when he takes away their sins, they're right. They're as righteous as we are. They have imputed righteousness like we do. I'm this not is about, this with is about now. I, but I'm saying is there's you're, an you're adding in this. There's future... unbelief. Israel is unbelief. Uh, God has turned to the Gentiles. The, the Gentiles are the ones he's he's working through. They are in unbelief. And I'm saying that's going to end. He has an until right here. This will stop. And then all Israel will be saved. All right. Well, yeah, I said our time's going to come to an end, but it's, it's when Jesus comes back. Okay. Then it's, that's it. You know, this is their time, too, because they've all been concluded on righteousness with them. Zechariah 12 disagrees with you. Gentlemen, <laughs> that was a fun back and forth on that uh, question. So I appreciate you both keeping this uh, engaging and definitely a debate to remember. So next question comes in from Josie. Thank you uh, very much. And questions for Pastor Tommy McMurtry. Please ask Pastor Tommy if he thinks the church age believers will be ranked in the millennium and inherit the kingdom based on what they do in this earthly life. Yeah. Well, how we get into the kingdom is based completely on what Jesus Christ already did. Yeah. And what we do in the kingdom, I do believe will be based on what we do uh, with the salvation that we've been given and how all that's going to work. Uh, I know the righteous judge will get those things right. And I do believe what we do in this earth, will affect what we do in the kingdom. It will not affect whether or not we get in the kingdom, but it will affect what we do in the kingdom. Only one thing affects getting in the kingdom, faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why uh, those uh, who rejected him, when he returns, it's going to be too late. They will be shut out of the kingdom. There are many prophecies showing Jesus shutting Jews out of the kingdom. And and I, I've still yet to hear Pastor Anthony address those things and so but yes what we do uh with our salvation with the talents that god has given us uh will determine our role in god's kingdom thank you tommy anthony over to you um yeah i absolutely believe that church age believers will be ranked in the millennium uh and, and inherit the kingdom or, or in some aspects not inherit the kingdom based on what they did in this earthly life uh, they'll have uh, Peter speaks about adding virtue and knowledge to their faith. He says, if you do this, you'll be uh, you'll have an abundant entry into the kingdom of, of uh, uh, kingdom of heaven. And it's, it's all throughout the scripture. I think it's pictured in first Corinthians three, 10 through 15. Um, the aspects of I think the, the judgment seat of Christ is referring to this. In fact, uh, the Apostle John says not to reject sound doctrine. Otherwise, you'll lose the reward that you've worked for. And so there's, yeah, I think it's, you, it's, that's a big part of my ministry, by the way, is, is looking at a reward that's for the Christians and how that's going to be applied in the millennium and beyond. So yes, I absolutely do believe that some will have two cities and three cities and, and just like Jesus described. Yeah, um, what's interesting, yeah. What's interesting too, if you look at the parables of the talents too, um, those are the parables given directly to Israel who uh, when the master returned, they had taken the one talent that they had and they went and buried it. And that talent was taken away from them. 
and it was just picture two because when Jesus came to earth, when he, when he at his coming at that triumphal entry, because Israel had not produced any fruit, God took what they had and he gave it to someone else. And he, uh, he gave it, he gave it to us. So, um, that's an interesting, uh, those parables, are very interesting looking at the context of those things. They were all told after Jesus did not find any fruit in Israel. And we have those references to the kingdom being taken from you and given to another nation. Now, some people think it's going to be given back to them. I don't see that in the Bible either. Okay. Thank you, uh, pastors, for your responses. Question comes in from Centurion737. Question for Anthony this time. Since today's Jews still believe they are under the law, how are they saved since there's no temple to perform their animal sacrifices or sprinkle blood on the mercy seat? They do animal sacrifices at home. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> they're not saved if that's what they're believing in. I've never said anything differently. Right. Okay. I appreciate that, Anthony. Tommy, anything you want to add to that? No, I think I think I think we're definitely in agreement on that. Amen. Okay, Nakia Boyer. Question for both. Why would God be done with Israel yet decide to make the gates of the new Jerusalem the 12 sons of Jacob? Thoughts, my brothers. Uh, Pastor Tommy, why don't we start with you on this one? Yeah, now I don't know what Pastor Quino's position on this. I am not a Baptist brighter, but I do believe God made both Jew and Gentile one and uh, I believe that as New Testament Christians, we are a, uh, the way I hear some preachers put it, a continuation of the church in the wilderness, that our fathers were the ones who passed through the Red Sea, and they all ate that same spiritual drink, and that same, you know, they, uh, they I'm not quoting it right, drink of that rock, was, which was Christ. So we're, we're connected to them. And so um, there are, we see there's the 12 gates with the 12 tribes of Israel, but there's also the 12 foundations, which are the 12 apostles. And I think that when we're seeing that city that's referred to as the bride, the lamb's wife, um, it's you know symbolic of all believers throughout all history. And uh, God started, um, you know, well, I won't go into when he started the church. It's a long thing, but I, I do believe we are, we are directly connected uh, to Israel. We are the new Testament church is old Testament. Israel reformed is what I believe. And so people often bring up, I don't know, Pastor Quinn's position in this, but they'll talk about the differences between the church and Israel. Well, and of course there's differences between the church and Israel because God reformed the church under the new covenant and he removed the sacrifices. He removed the Levitical priesthood. And, but at the same time, all those who are of faith in the Old Testament of Israel, they're going to be a part of that kingdom. They are going to be a part of that bride. And so I believe that's what the Bible is showing us with those 12 gates, with the sons of Jacob and the 12 foundations of the apostles. Thank you very much, Tommy. Anthony, your response? You know, it is uh, interesting that that's a great question because the language that's used, regardless as to how you want to interpret or spiritualize, spiritualize it, it isn't the six flags of Texas. It's the 12 sons of Jacob. It, it continually uses that same language. The Bible, at least in that regard, is a thoroughly Jewish or Israel. Uh, it's a thoroughly Jewish book. Why use those names? Why talk about the 12 sons of Jacob? Why choose Abraham? 
I mean, there is a sense in which the people of uh, Israel, the sons of Abraham, Abraham himself was chosen out of all the people of the earth. In fact, it says, uh, I don't know exact reference, but it wasn't because they were special. Nonetheless, God chose them. And so if he's totally done with it, the whole idea of it, get rid of it. That why, why is he labeling not just that, but the New Jerusalem, I could go on and on. I don't have all of it figured out. But there is something that there is something to be said in the fact that, as the questioner uh, points out, that, uh, yeah, 12 sons of, uh, in fact, Jesus says you're going to rule in thrones with me. And, but um, why is that the case if God's completely done with the whole concept of Israel? Thank you, uh, Anthony. And I'll sneak this one in. It is a super chat. Jungle Jargon, appreciate the support. And he just says, who is Israel? Is it 50% Judaic? Do any of you have any thoughts on that at all? I, I mean, I don't believe the people out there. To, I, I said, I don't believe these people are Israel. I believe that's, you know, I I believe that there is, there was a physical nation. Um, I believe that they were the chosen people. You mentioned being chosen. One thing we haven't talked about, chosen for what? Okay, what, what, were, what were they chosen for? You know what they were chosen for? They were chosen to be the people that God would fulfill the promise made at the Garden of Eden about a seed of a woman that would bruise the head of Satan. They were chosen to be the people that were uh, that God would raise up the Messiah through. And God did that. And Jesus was of Israel. And so the thing, and so uh, the Israel of God today, it's just all those who are in Christ. As far as a physical nation, God destroyed it and is done with it so uh who is israel now it's all those who are in christ okay um, thank you. go ahead anthony i'm not exactly sure what's being asked who's israel is it 50 percent judaic um well no i mean it's yeah <clears throat> uh, this is reference to the different tribes or not I, i'm probably just missing something but again uh israel as uh, you had unbelievers in the old testament israel I mean, we know that you have unbelievers, largely unbelievers in the New Testament is in the, the age that we're in. Right. But in the future, Israel will turn and believe uh, God scattered. He scattered them because of disobedience. He will regather them a second time. If Isaiah hadn't said a second time, then the power of it wouldn't. I mean, at least in my opinion, it wouldn't be as powerful. But he says that. And so. uh so I don't, again, I'm sorry if I didn't answer your question. Yeah, I no, don't understand the 50% Judaic part. Me either. Neither do I. I asked uh, the, the questioner for a clarification, but I didn't get one. So that's fine. We got responses from the both of you. Gentlemen, I want to yeah. respect your time. We are three plus <laughs> hours now. So a uh, very comprehensive show. Again, great endurance from the both of you. And so I'm going to wrap up the Q&A there. And we are going to conclude the show, though, with five-minute concluding statements from the both of you. And uh, again, I appreciate both of your time and also just all of the energy and effort that was obviously put into prepping for this uh, debate and discussion to remember, I would say. So it's one of those discussions you're going to want to watch several times because so many important points were discussed. So with that, five-minute concluding statements to wrap up our thoughts, wrap up our points, and just to address anything we might feel has been left hanging. Pastor Tommy McMurtry, we're going to start with you. And so whenever you're ready, the floor is yours. 
Well, I think I'll just conclude by saying, you know, who are the chosen or people uh, or, you know, chosen for what? Well, you remember God originally chose Abel over Cain and but Cain ended up killing Abel. And then we have Seth that comes along and Eve said God had appointed another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And then we have the line of Seth and then we go, we get to Noah, you know, the world got corrupted. Noah comes along. God chooses Noah. Noah builds the ark. God starts world over again with him. Things go bad at the tower of Babel. God ends up choosing Abraham and Abraham has two sons. He has one of a bond woman, another of a free woman, the children of the flesh or not the children of God. Galatians four makes it crystal clear that those in Jerusalem, were of uh, Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage. The children of the flesh are in bondage and are of Ishmael. But the children of the promise are those who are of Sarah, those who are of Isaac. Just because somebody descended from Abraham didn't make them the seed. They had to be a promise, and that was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. But Esau doesn't get any claim. God chose Jacob. And then Jacob, he has 12 sons, but, uh, and we see that, you know, um, you know, he, he has kind of a favorite where we have Joseph. And then after Joseph, he has Ephraim and Manasseh. And we see Jacob, you know, he gives the blessing to Ephraim, the younger, it's always the younger of the two brothers. It's all, it's always the younger. And God just showing us something here, how God is going to fulfill all of these things. And ultimately, God chose Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came from that line. He paid for the sins of the world. He brought redemption. He brought salvation. All things were fulfilled through him. He is the focal point. And I think it is a shame that Christians are giving special prominence to an ethnicity today. When we have specifically been told not to give heed to endless genealogies, these things don't matter. When the Bible says they who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. And just because the Bible takes the time to just show the wonderful picture of God's grace in the fact that he will still save people like this it, and to uh, take those passages and apply just some special salvation for that ethnic group in the future. It makes absolutely no sense. It's completely unbiblical. The fact that churches are flying, many churches are flying Israeli flags, calling them the chosen people. No, they aren't. Listen, these are not the chosen people. What God chose already came to pass with Jesus Christ. And he is the chosen. He is that choice. He is the elect. And there is no difference you know, between them and them. And um, it is bad theology. And it is something that has infiltrated Christian churches. Judaizers have been trying to infiltrate the church since the first century. So yes, you can find these heresies all throughout history amongst all, all religions. And what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, we all believe Pastor Quino, dispensationalist replacement theology. We all believe God is going to keep his promises. The question is, how is he going to fulfill those things? Because there are negative promises. There are curses. Israel did break God's covenant. But we still see some positive things too. So how are those things fulfilled? The answer every single time, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that solution. And Jesus Christ gave many prophecies 
to people just like this who made broad their phylacteries, who loved uppermost rooms at feasts and seats and that, that did all these uh, traditions and things and that rejected him. Jesus promised judgment for them. Judgment is coming for these people. Their only hope of salvation is right now. Nothing special for them coming in the future. All these Romans 11 is about right now and where people are adding in. And so then all Israel shall be saved. No, it's and so it's how they'll be saved. They're adding in the time of the Gentiles. No, it's when the fullness of the Gentiles talking about the multitude coming in. That's what these things are about. And it's high time people knock this stuff off. We understand that there will be an antichrist that will come, but I'm not going to support his rise to power. There will be a beast that rises up out of the sea with a deadly wound that is healed, but I will not support that beast system. I will stand against it. I will be against it. Uh, and uh, Christians have been duped into supporting these kind of things, literally flying the flag of these people in their churches I think that is an embarrassment and an absolute shame. And people uh, are doing these things in their zeal for a bad theology. It's time to knock that off. You know what? The, uh, the, the internet's out there. It's given the small guys like me with small churches a voice. It, it's no, no longer can the TV preachers dominate the conversation and the radio people and the people with the big money and the people with the newspapers, the people that can afford to really get the name out there. No, now little people like me, we can get the word out there about this. And it's high time people stop just going along with the status quo and stand against these people and call this stuff out. It's really messed up a lot of theology. It's taken the focus off Jesus Christ and put it on an ethnic group. And I think that's a shame and I'm against it. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Tommy McMurtry, for that closing statement. Uh, Pastor Anthony Aquino, you now have your closing statement as well. Go ahead whenever you're ready. <clears throat> Isaiah 11, 11, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathos and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. <clears throat> and this, I could just read this whole chapter. It's, it's so relevant to what we're talking about here, but I want to leave the, the debate with that a second time. God's going to do it. He's, he's already begun the process of this, of this, of this, gathering and we see it not we didn't see it take place in our age in our in our lifetime we're too i'm too young for that but we see the result of it the faithfulness of god i'm not uh and i don't have a special salvation for the people of israel they have to trust in their messiah today tomorrow and yesterday yes i i believe that but when god says he's going to do something with a nation and he does it we should give him praise for that this, uh, this is an amazing uh, apologetic tool that we should be using, showing others, look, look what God but promised. He's done that. He's preserved. He's gathering. He's scattered. He gathered. And again, God's default position is one of mercy. When he tells Nineveh, you're going to be destroyed, his default position is, is one of mercy. It's implied that if you repent, uh, he, he won't. But to begin to read conditions based on some kind of pattern, uh, that you see in, in uh, God's daily with Nineveh to begin to read conditions to these wonderful promises, uh, such as Zechariah 12 
to say, well, that was if they had done the right thing. No, they pierced him. And I will pour out in the house of David upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they pierced. And the believing Israel, the believing Israel is what this is referenced to. And they shall mourn for him. They didn't mourn for him. They shall mourn for as one uh, as for his only son. They didn't do that. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. It will happen. Praise God for it. Praise God for his faithfulness. The salvation has always been by faith alone in Christ alone. There's never, there's no other way to be saved. And God, yet at the same time, God does love the world, including Israel. And sorry about the, my camera. He does not reject his love. He does not take away his loving kindness. And he can love people that reject, reject him. And yet he can continue to love them. And when that group of people, the descendants of the same group of people, gather again into a land, and that generation is no longer the wicked generation, and they trust in him. Why can we not rejoice over that fact? So many saints have seen it down through the century. Uh, so many saints have said the same thing. They will be regathered in unbelief. They will, uh, be, they will even begin their temple system. And God will reject it as... as um, an abomination, but at the same time, when they are surrounded and when their Messiah appears and shows up on the Mount of Olives, they will believe in him, and so all Israel shall be saved. Praise God for it, and that's all I have to say. I've got a paper to write, so I need to get to it. <laughs> Pastor Anthony Aquino, thank you for that concluding statement. Gentlemen, that concludes the debate. Excellent job. This was a ton of fun, and I know how busy you both are. And so I really appreciate you giving us three, almost three and a half hours for this. Uh, what Thank I think you. is a go-to debate for anybody interested in the topic of dispensationalism to check out. So with that, to the audience, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, thank, thank you so Pastor. much thank to you. the debaters. Thank you. God, God bless all.